0: What's going on right now in the back? There's a bunch of wrestlers signing contracts. What they're signing contracts for is this big show. This big show that's gonna happen I don't in the first quarter of the new year. That's right, pauline You son of a bitch! I'm ruining your
1: surprise. I'm squashing your angle to surprise the people, fuck you, I'll the triple. <laughs> My question to you, Davey Jericho,
2: is what are you
1: going to do when the blue guy and big Stevie you, punk ass. Once again, the winner of the contest, Mister D. If you wouldn't mind, could you please move your massive body out of my way and out of the view of the camera, fat boy? The task mission, the cut, the heart of air.
0: The lights are out! And there's someone in the ring with tags!
2: Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to November of 1996 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Four volumes for you this month. Volume 1 is your WWF show looking at Survivor Series. Volume 2 takes you to WCW looking at World War 3. We're here in Volume 3 for ECW looking at November to remember. And in a very special Volume 4, we step away from wrestling and away from mixed martial arts to look at Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield. That's right, we are foraying into the world. Boxing. Anyway, here for extreme Championship Wrestling, I've been joined firstly by Roy McNamara. Rory, hello. Hello, Bob. And Chris Lacey. How do? Uh, it's, it's very early this morning, and I have not had a lot of sleep, but, you know, be, bear with us as my voice hopefully improves throughout this show. Uh, Chris, uh, headlines, we start out. Uh, we seem to do this every month, but from, from that now that it's also kind of been alluded to on screen, uh, it looks like a pay-per-view is going to happen in the first quarter of next year.
3: It is. Um, at the November to Remember show, Taz comes out and mentions the fact that people are signing contracts for an event at the beginning part of the year. And there has also been talk that Paul Heyman has been looking at dates in either March or April next year for the very first ECW pay-per-view. Um there's been a report saying that Paul Heyman has been actually asking if he can tape the show and air it on a eight hour delay, uh, but the pay-per-view companies that he's been speaking to are not very happy on this and want a live show. JT Smith leaves ECW. Uh, it's been uh, commented that J.C. Smith has not been happy with the commutes uh, from his home in Virginia to the ECW shows. Um, so, due to his family's wishes, he has decided to quit wrestling and leave ECW, and his last event was at the in November to Remember.
2: And, as... Yeah, always seems to baffle me, Given unless the ECW arena is somehow kind of sentient and just kind of expands and contracts in size. <laughs> for about the sixth time this year, the ECW has set a record attendance in the ECW arena.
3: It is true. Um, again, another somehow they've managed to fit more people into a tiny car. I think they may be going for the Guinness Book of Record that's held by clowns and minis. This time, we have... 1,500 people in the building for the November to Remember show, which is the biggest attendance they've ever had. Whether this is true and have they can physically make it bigger, I will be keep looking into. But you know, they they sold out so much though so that there wasn't even a standout crowd outside. People didn't even bother trying to get in because they would have already sold all the tickets.
2: And finally, a 17 year old gets and i'm going to use your verdict, verbiage here cuts to shit by new Jack
3: uh, an event at Revere, Michigan or Massachusetts, even, a seventeen year old managed to get himself into a tag team match against the gangsters, and New Jack blades him. There will be a lot more on this later in the show.
2: Yeah, a lot of stuff went down there. Uh, right, we will move on to the rest. In fact, no. Uh, Rory, any any thoughts on any of the news? I know we're going to discuss the New Jack stuff later, but anything else? Yeah, I'll just,
4: I'll, yeah, I'll just comment on that briefly, everything on there. First off, uh, I'm sad to see J.T. Smith go, actually. Um, I got the impression they never really settled on a a gimmick that really worked for him. He had the the unlucky loser stuff, they dumped him in the FBI. Both were interesting for a, for a short space of time, but they've had a limited shelf life. Right? Uh, I've always been fairly impressed by him in the ring. He always he's, he's always has a major, major screw-up in him, but uh, he's always been a decent to good standard ECW worker. He's always done what's been asked of him, and uh, so I'm quite sad to see him go. Uh, as far as uh, record attendance goes, uh, I half expected to see Gene Oakland in the ring announcing 1,500 fans at November to remember. Uh, they missed the trick on that one. And as far as pay-per-view is concerned, I say they mentioned it after, at the big show, but even so, I could be sat down one minute before airtime with my with my popcorn and my drink and my order number in my hand, and I would still not believe that the pay per view is going to go up and running. So, as I said many times, and I've been on the ECW shows, even now I will believe it when I see it.
2: I can't really disagree with any of that, Chris. Any more thoughts?
3: No, as I said, um, it's looking a bit more. The the the. Pay-per-view is going ahead with the fact that, you know, he's sort of trying to get contracts signed and things like that. So plans are definitely more afoot than we're thinking about it and we're asking the question. Um, But as Rory says, until it's actually on the air, with with a lot of things with ECW, it can change at a drop of a hat.
1: February 4th, 1995, double tables, Sabu and Taz defeat the public enemy for the ECW World Tag Team Championship, many feel it's a turning point in both men's careers. April 8th, 1995, one of the most controversial nights in ECW history, the three-way dance, Sabu is publicly fired from Extreme Championship Wrestling. November to remember 1995, Sabu returns to ECW and Taz's shocking betrayal which he blames on the fact that ECW would bring back Sabu. For one year Taz has called out Sabu and has claimed that the only thing holding Sabu back has been fear. Well tonight I'm here to set the record straight. Because there was one man that I consulted before bringing Sabu back to ECW. One man who I went to for his blessing. One man who could have stopped the return of Sabu. And that one man was Kaz. The deal between the three of us was very simple. Sabu would be brought back to ECW because it was right for business, because the fans demanded it, because it was the best thing overall for the health of the company. And Taz would leave him alone. Let bygones be bygones. Forget the three-way dance. He'd always leave Sabu alone. He gave me his word as a friend, as a man. Sabu gave me the same promise. He would forget about Taz. He would put it behind him. He would let the past be the past. And he gave me his word as a man, as a man of honor. He gave me his word as my friend. For one year, Taz has called Sabu out to the ring because Taz has known for one year that Sabu will not answer the challenge. He cannot answer the challenge because he gave me his word. Because for one year, Sabu has been a man of his word. He's been a true friend. And while we here at ECW all cherish, we cherish has his credibility we cherish his physical gifts we love to compare him to wrestlers and other organizations because we know exactly how gifted this athlete can be but the man with the body of a baby gorilla does not have the mental maturity to match his physical maturity because he's never gotten over the jealousy he's never gotten over the rage he's never gotten over the envy For one year, he has called out Sabu because he knows in his heart that Sabu cannot answer the challenge without going back on his word to his friend. Now that, my friends, is the truth, which is the one thing in this world besides
2: Sabu that
1: is not man enough yet to handle.
2: All right, of all the ECW shows we've done, this is probably the most we're going to skim through TV probably as quickly as we can. We've got a very long show to review and then another couple of TV episodes where very little of that actually happens. So this is going to be a very live event heavy show. But we'll start with TV on the 5th of November. Amazingly, we opened up with a clip of Ultimate Jeopardy that, using the fan cam footage, make Douglas grabbing Pitbull 1 look completely boring. I don't know how they managed that, but it was such a bad angle. Uh, We're in New York and we see the Pittsburgh Steel team attempt to get on Shane Douglas's good side. That doesn't work as Pitbull 2 is in complete control in a handicap match. Douglas interrupts Styles in studio and says there's a bounty on Pitbull 2's head. Cut back to the ring, Pitbull 2 wins a squash then beats up Douglas post-match until Brian Lee runs out for the 2-on-1 they brawl brought around the arena and in, even into the production trucks, which are parked up in full view of the ring, which is quite fun. Then climb on top of the truck, Pitbull then gets chokeslammed off the truck, and I think it's Nova and Mini who've stacked about three tables on top of each other. And Pitbull 2 satisfyingly just pancakes down through them very, very well. That was really quite nice. Uh, we get uh, the Spicoli and Doug Furness match from last month. As I said last month, seek this out for a really good finish. Uh, we were shown to New York for matching Douglas and Dreamer. Brian Lee gets involved, smashes Dreamer over the head with a garbage can, then makes Dreamer watch as Douglas puts a full Nelson on Mueller. Mikey runs out into a primetime slam, as does Devin Storm and the Pittsburgh Jobbers. They're basically saying plans have changed for Douglas match, uh, the Douglas match is earlier advertised, with Pitbull 2 now written off the show. It's Douglas and Lee versus Dreamer. And, well, does anyone Man Dreamer can call on now? We end the show with the usual montage of interviews and the thing finishes with Tommy Dreamer on his far car phone. Put me through to Double Cross Ranch. We begin November the 12th with a video package on Terry Funk. He really does look old these days. We see highlights from Devon beating Bubba Ray. We then see a horrid slow-mo of Big Dick Dudley taking a double chair shot from Axel and Devon. Security has to break up a fight between Big Dick and Devon. Devon and Axel battle over who should fight him first when Joel Gertner shows up. Gertner suggests they press charges. Security agree and seemingly Big Dick Dudley gets led away in a police car. This show is just a build to November to remember. We see highlights from Sabu and Van Down versus Crawford and Furness from High Incident last month. We then see two Cold Scorpio versus David Morton, Tyler Jericho. You can tell something is up as Scorpio is beating people with top rope moves again. Taz runs out and floors in with the Taz flex and the Taz mission. Paul E. cuts a promo in the dark. He says Taz greenlit Sabu's return because it was right for business and because the fans demanded it. As in return would leave him alone and right, we move on to november to remember rory who kicks off with the results
4: oh, i can indeed stevie richards defeated david tyler morton jericho axel rotten defeated hack myers bubba ray dudley defeated devon dudley the eliminators fought rob van dam and rob van dam and sabu to a time limit draw in their number one contender match for the world tag team championships Chris Candido defeated Mikey Whitbreck. In a three-way dance, the Gangsters defeated the, the Eliminators and Sabu and RVD to retain the tag team titles. In a series of matches, two Cold Scorpio defeated Devon Storm in a Loser Leaves Town for 15 days match. He then defeated the aforementioned JT Smith in a Loser Leaves Town for 30 days match. He then beat Hack Myers in a Loser Leaves Town for 60 days match. But in a Loser Leaves Town for one year match, he was beaten by Louis Piccoli. The Sandman defeated the, the, the Sandman defeated Raven to retain the ECW World Heavyweight Championship, and in our main event, the team of Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer defeated Shane Douglas
3: and Brian Lee.
2: Chris, what do you think of this show? It was a
3: really, really good show, and it's sort of you know the usual, always. Um, I think we go through the full review but i think the show should have ended in a different order but as I said we'll go through that a little bit more when we go through the full review
2: Rory,
4: yeah i agree completely with chris on the running order i think they 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 miss, missed a lot of tricks here but we'll get to that as to the show i am still actually unsure as to what i think about it this time normally every show i've done for any of the three uh three previous three um uh, three companies i know where i'm coming from on this one I really haven't got a clue whether I like it or not. There were things I really enjoyed. There were things I really hated. But I asked myself, am I liking this, am I hating this for the right or the wrong reasons? So this one's going to be a, a voyage in rediscovery as we go through this one. But um, one thing I will say, that if you are an ECW fan, then this is very much an ECW show.
2: I thought it was too long. Um, and the, the, the edit of the show we got was basically three hours, and this was like the, the same kind of edit we always get, which is, a, uh, you know, match starts, match finishes, any post-match promo, and then we immediately cut to the next match. There's no transitions. There's no, and not, that, not that we're missing anything, but I'm just saying if you're in the arena, there's probably an interval and it's going to be time between matches that we don't see. And this was three, three relentless hours. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I'm in agreement about the running order. I thought the show was front loaded too much. Um, we got down the stretch, and I kind of ran out of legs a little bit, and I think the show kind of did as well as the match quality just seemed to drop, and the two cold Scorpio stuff was a bit weird. Um, uh, yeah, like I, I, I know what they were trying to do, but it it, it just felt really really convoluted. yeah, like there was enough good things on this show but they probably all happened in the first 60-70 minutes maybe you 90 minutes since you were there in person and then the show just started to drag the match quality started to drop and it was like yeah, alright, we'll see anyway we start with Taz and Alfonso out in the ring in street clothes, Taz says there's a load of wrestlers signing contracts backstage for a big show in the first quarter of next year and he's here to steal Paul East Thunder Taz tells Heyman to shoot me, bitch. Taz then says in the big event he wants to be in the main event against your boy, Big Sabu. Fans chant, Sabu fears Taz before someone shouts something at Taz who tells them to shut the fuck up. Fans chant, fuck you, Taz. Fonzie whistles down the microphone and the segment ends. Um, really, I, I, I quite like this one for, for what it set up later in the show, but I think also... You know, like they, they while they're still trying to work out the fine print for the pay view, they don't want to announce it, but they want to kind of get out get word out there that it's coming. So I thought it was a really clever way to have a heel do it. In that it meant that the heel didn't have to explain anything about it, and there was no expectation in that segment that he would have to. Yet you could still let the fans know something big's coming.
4: I thought it was great they had a heel do it. I thought at first that would be a little bit strange. that you know if, if The pay-per-view coming, they've been doing it for so long that Heyman itself would, hope, would um, uh, announce that. But no, they had Taz do it, which was brilliant because he is the heel, and he never actually said these words, but the implication is if you want to see me beat up Sabu and I want to beat up Sabu, then guess what? You're going to have to pay to see it, which I thought that was a fantastic little bit of um, uh, implied logic there. And I think Taz handled it really well. Um that fucking whistle uh get that one out of the way straight away but i thought this was a really interesting way of opening the show and it does uh indicate to me that ecw are very very serious about this pay-per-view and i really really hope it does come off because they've got their big marquee match which it, which they have already been building uh, pretty much all throughout this year and uh if they can strike while the irons hot, they could have something very special on their hands so yep really really like this
3: chris See, I'm going to go back to week two's TV of the month with, um, that, uh, Paul Heyman video vignette that they showed when he sort of came out with the truth, quote unquote, of, you know, he asked Taz if he could have Sabu back. They both said that they weren't going to have any contact with each other. You know, the whole, the whole of that. And then for Taz basically in spite to piss over Heyman's moment, You know, it it sort of works so well for the heel character, basically, to go, do you know what, fuck you, I'm going to do it. Yes, there's going to be an event. Yes, I'm going to kick the shit out of your boy. Bring it on. Uh, It's it's one of those of, when you think Taz is just a one-trick pony of sort of throwing people around and choking them out, he shows that he's got a character depth as well and sort of, that doesn't just rely on that fucking whistle as I think going to be the most quoted line of ECW this year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that don't remind me. Um, wh- one thing I like most about ECW, and I think we'd all agree on this is that it's, it, it, it's not the most conventional show in that they're always trying different things. They're always testing new ideas and that kind of thing. And they're always willing to think outside the box in a way that WWF certainly aren't and WCW rarely aren't. Although we're seeing a little bit more of that now with, um, now that Nitro started only a bit. Um, and, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes they'll, you know, they'll just try and be too clever and the whole thing will fall flat. We look at shoot fights this year as one thing that will, will definitely get raised in the end of year awards next month as one thing where it's like, yeah, you tried an idea and it didn't work. And they probably clung to that idea a bit too much. But, you know, that happens. This was, I thought, very clever, was that, you know, I can't think of an example where something like this would happen in one of the big two. But if it was, if there was like a major event, they wouldn't announce it like this. And I thought, okay, you want to let people know it's happening, but not in the way that you have to be kind of defined by very very clever Taz comes out Taz is a really good promo these days he, he, he's he got that character really well down um, Fonzie's Fonzie um, you know and it's uh, well we'll get a much more continuation on Sabu and Taz later in the show we move on
1: Say hello to the blue guy. <laughs> and that's a that's a chicken bone in his mouth
0: over this must be big Stevie Cool you
1: well, look at him right now to start off with three simple words. We're taking over! God help us. special engagement at the Cable Ace Awards with Billionaire Ted to come to this oversized welfare office. David Jericho is what are you going to do when the blue guy and big Stevie Kool-
0: WCW
2: punk-ass! We start with large BWO chants. My hunch, my uh, uh really interesting. Did you think these BWO chants were added in post-production because they they were very very sustained?
4: They were sustained and they were even by ECW rabid crowd standards. They were very very loud. So um, uh, yeah. I do wonder. Let's say that I do wonder. Because
2: like, I I think that, I think the chant started like that, and then like you could you watch the crowd and, like nobody's chanting oh. it. <laughs> It was our tape. Who knows? Anyway, uh, say hello to the blue guy. Says Meeny, uh, Hollywood Nova and Big Stevie. Cool fans chant, "You fat fuck at Meeny." Richard says the BWO had to turn down an engagement at the Cable Ace Awards to come to <laughs> this oversized welfare office what you going to do when the blue guy and big stevie cool and hollywood bob star send your little midget ass back to the wcw the three pose which is really good and they've even got people holding uh, bwo placards in the crowd like the nwo had on nitro um chris it's a shame that stevie richards is so good at comedy because i think people forget that he's just excellent it
3: is it is one of those of I think especially this last sort of couple of months with a lot of the parody work has shown that, you know, the, the sort of focus on him has been more of the comedy. You've had The Kiss, now has BWO, you know, you've had the public enemy things. But what's always forgotten is how good of an inbreak worker he is. Um, but if it takes the comedy stuff to get him noticed, I reckon he could turn up in one of the big two. would would he get
2: this kind of freedom though
3: probably not to sort of parody the way
2: that he did I'll answer my own question no he wouldn't I think he's the long and short of it
3: yeah but if it's if it's enough to put a foot in the door for him
2: what do you think of the same question get him
3: noticed um, I really enjoyed it actually I thought it was you know taking the piss out of the biggest thing that is in wrestling at the moment but yeah making it so ECW Rory it works
2: sorry sorry. Sorry, Chris I managed to cut you off about four times during that question (laughs) anything else to add I won't say anything until you finish I am done right Rory I'm going to do the same to you as well what do you think
4: (laughs) he's taking over Um, well I'm you're preaching to the converted with me as far as Stevie is concerned as uh, long time listeners will know I I absolutely flat out love the man every time he appears a smile just is there on my face straight away because I know I'm going to be Riotously entertained by somebody who has a real sense and flair for genuine comic timing, which in the wrestling, in the wrestling business, certainly these days is as rare as hen's teeth. The man is pure gold and I, I could watch, I could watch his comedy skits all day. However, this whole BWO thing, and all three played their parts brilliantly and there's no doubt about that, but for me, ECW are at their best when they're having and making subtle jibes at the big two uh to pick one of many examples from this year uh when in his final match cactus jack was announced as being from um uh stamford connecticut the most hardcore place in all of mankind you know little things like that
2: i'm not sure that's subtle
4: no i first of all it's much more subtle than this saying oh there's a big thing in wcw called and, was, this, and this, here's this, the blue this, one. I'm not saying, this I'm isn't not saying
2: a guy, this... this is parody, isn't it? Yes, it's parody. It, 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 yes, it's um,
4: parody can only get you so far. For example, the kiss thing was great a couple of months ago, but they only did it once. I get the impression, I could be wrong, I get the impression that this BWO thing is, is going to run for at least a little while. And I say if anybody can make it work, it's, uh, it is Stevie. But for me, it was just a little bit too obvious as entertaining as it undoubtedly was because of uh, the the that was involved.
2: I thought this was really good. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll praise Richards and I'm going to praise him in the match in a minute as well. Um, you know, he he is a bit like Scott Hall in the sense that I was having a discussion, I think with Stuart Brooks, um, probably last month. We won't even record him showing we a chat and we were talking about the NWO and I said that, you know, and the possibility was obviously last month when Bret Hart might have come in and, and what might the NWO look like had, you know, say, Bret Hart been the third band or whatever. And I kind of said that, you know, the NWO without Scott Hall wouldn't have worked. I don't think it would have because, you know, there, there's no cool factor, you know, if, if, if the cool factor's got to come from a combination of Diesel, Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart, I think you'd be fucked. Um, and I think in a similar kind of way that, you know, as, as, you know, as interesting as Meany is, and we don't know a lot about Nova, Richards is this entire act. um, and he is so, you know, he's so convincing in this role. Um, his timing's excellent, and the other guys can kind of play off him. It just works really well. We did get out of vignette on, um, TV, separate to this segment, along with it. Um, so you might be right, Rory, in terms of we might get a bit more of this, but, you know, I don't, I don't think that's the end of the world if it if it gives them you know if it gives them something to run off for a while that could work um, and there's pl- let's be honest there's been four or five months of NWO stuff there's quite a bit they could parody let's let's be clear about that um, but yeah I was a big fan of this segment uh, we move on to. The next match, it's David Morton, Tyler Jericho versus Big Stevie Cool, obviously Richards, uh, with Hollywood Bob Starr and the Blue Guy. They are called the Insiders, which I also thought was excellent. Um, Starr said, maybe he'll wrestle like Kevin Nash, which is which will handicap Stevie, as that means he can only use three moves. A headlock takedown into a counter. Richards seems to feel up Jericho. He escapes. Jericho calls in, the gayest-looking son of a bitch I've ever seen in my life, on the house mic. Stevie takes a couple of arm drags, but counters and hits a couple of Nash-style elbows. Jericho gets Stevie in the corner, then kicks him in the nuts for applying a, quote, testicular claw, as Joey called it. He throws Richards through the ropes, who bounces off the table on the outside. Jericho hits a big crossbody block to the outside, then hits a slingshot clothesline on the apron. Jericho takes another couple of shots to Richards for locky and a high-angle Boston Crab. Jericho goes for a clothesline, Richards ducks, then falls onto the mat and punches him in the nuts. Richards sets for a jackknife, Jericho flips him out, but Richards hits him in the nuts again. I make that 5-2 to two on the nut shot front. Richards hits a sidewalk slam, then does a Nash pose to the hard camera. Jericho fires Richards in the corner, he bounces off, but hits a diamond cutter for a 2. Crowd champ for a DDT, Stevie blocks a sunset flip, then sits on Jericho for a pin, but nearly loses it after a counter. Richards gets planted on his head, but only for a two. Jericho hits a hurricane runner right from the second rope for a two. Richards comes off the ropes, hits a lovely looking jackknife powerbomb, but Jericho kicks out. Richards stands in the corner, tunes up the band, short Michael style, but Jericho ducks the super kick, hits the low blow, and almost wins it. Richards comes off the top rope, ducks the clothesline, smashes a lovely super kick for the win. I very much like that. Chris, what do you think?
3: This, once again, is a a really good opener for a show, but it also shows that Stevie, even though, yes, we sort of said, look at him for the comedy side, it's such a really good worker in the ring, and that's a a fact that's sometimes often forgotten, that how good he can do matches, and how how technically sound he is. Um, This other kid, who they clearly don't know what they're going to give him his name, because... They just seem to have literally picked, let's take four random names and put them together. Could be sort of fairly good. He looks like, you know, he's got something about him. Whether he will just be another ECW jobber that does nothing, who knows. But I really hope they give him a proper name instead of, you know, just throwing four at it. Um, But as I said, as an opener for a show, it's a good wrestling match to open the show.
2: I, I, it wouldn't surprise me don't UCW, if they just give him more names. <laughs> um, that is true. true. W- w- why stop at four? Uh, Rory? what do you think?
4: Really good opener, I thought. Exactly how you want to begin, begin a show. Like, Stevie's so good in the ring. I sometimes almost wonder if, because he is so brilliant on the mic, etc., that we're almost supposed to forget that he's as, as good as he is in the ring. It's, it's almost holding him back, as, as much as I, I, I hate saying that, because He's got character down. He's got a pretty good move set. His selling is excellent. His timing is terrific. He's a, he is a great, great worker. It's the first time I've seen um, uh, oh, Johnny Four names, and I was really impressed by him as well. Um, he worked a sort of fiery babyface style. Um, so his legwork was excellent. Uh, I, I don't know who actually laid out this match. I, I, I did zone out a little bit after the 10 millionth ball shot, but uh, hey-ho and uh stevie richard's best super kick in the business So a yeah, good length good opener and uh, i have no complaints here whatsoever
2: yeah um I, I thought this was really good we talk about richard's comedy timing on promos um his comedy timing in ring is excellent too um you know this was this was a really fun match like you know you just you just see richard's having a bit of fun and parody well basically kevin nash and then later Shawn michaels um and it worked really well. Uh, the crowd were invested. It was a on the show, and that's the thing. Like, there's a a, a lot of stuff that gets far on the comedy generally isn't very good in ring. Generally, you know, you, you often see one or the other, um, but. Richards manages to make it both work, which is incredible testament to how good he is um and yeah, I've really found match and we talk about this show being really good up front uh this was one of the reasons why um and yeah i i I think th- you know there's if I've got Richards around, I'm looking at a guy that can talk who's entertaining and who is one of probably one of the best wrestlers I- I- on the c w s roster yep. I would try and find a bigger role for him if I'm Paul Heyman, because there's enough faults with the guy up the street, up the, that I'd push this guy, because he's something. But, while he's comedy, you know, to an extent, uh, bring it on, because he's funny, he he is very, very good at what he does. We've got next to Axel Rotten versus Hack Myers. Fans chant shit in the early exchanges, then Charwin hacks on top. Myers chases him around the ring and hits him with a chair Rotten quickly turns the tables and hits Myers across the back with a chair Myers whips into the guard rail and hits Rotten with a chair back in the ring another chair shot Myers goes for a running one but Rotten gets a boot up Myers takes a massive chair swing and thankfully Rotten gets his hands up Myers gets off the top basically falls off and Rotten kind of aims in the direction of the chair on the floor he then hits a pedigree onto the chair and that will do that Rory
4: okay this is what we normally describe as it was what it was which is code for this match was a bit crap, really. Uh, it was, as an example of two big guys waddling around, hitting each other with chairs, just waiting to get the go-home sign, I suppose it was a, a fair example of that. But uh, I wasn't into this one at all. Uh, I think Hackmire's only really exists so people can, can chant uh, can chant Shah when he's doing those punches. Uh, rotten means less than nothing these days. Uh, at least it was short no, nothing to definitely nothing to write home about here but uh it was short it it gave gave the show a shower win move, move on quickly
3: chris well when you see that these two are in the ring together you know exactly what you're gonna get you don't even need to watch the match you know exactly how it's gonna go it was a walking brawl it is you know what you expect with these two and it was at the same level as you would expect for these two, it was a bit shit. But, <laughs> you know, it's as it is, and sometimes, you know, ECW's brawling style works better when you're not putting the two that just brawl together.
2: It was a bit shit. Probably sums <laughs> it up. We'll move on. Devon Dudley versus Bo Ray Dudley. <laughs> Boa face plants. Devon then hits a ten punch. We get a Devon sucks dick dueling chant. Devon hits a body slam and a standing headbutt. He goes for a charge, but Bubba sends him over the top to the floor. D1 hits a reverse DDT back in the ring, then a double axe handle on the apron. D1 fires him into the guardrail. Bubba just goes over it into the crowd. Bubba grabs a stop sign, hits D1 with it, and then smashes a chair onto his head. Second time, D1 gets his hands up, blocks it, and then I think hits a chair shot of his, own, over, of his own. They're into the crowd, and it's hard to see what's going on. We get back to ringside. D1 hits a chair shot across the back d gets to the top with a chair. Bubba cuts him off. Bubba follows up, hits a superplex, and both men are down. Bubba goes for a pin, but only gets a two. Bubba hits a Bubba Bomb, or a Butt, Butt, Butt Bomb, as I've got in my notes, but stalls, and d kicks out. d goes to the top, hits a diving headbutt, and Bubba manages to kick out. That gets a lot of groan and boos. I think towards the ref. It could just be the booking, I suppose. Uh Bubba blocks a chair shot. Devon cuts him off, but seems like the fans might have given up on the match. Boa fires Devon off of the ropes, launches Devon up in the air, and hits a diamond cutter. That was fucking tremendous. Fire him off the ropes, flung him upwards in the air, and then caught him on the way down with a diamond cutter. Fantastic. Boa wins the match. Anyway, post-match. Joel Gertner's here. Gertner announces Devon as the winner. Bubba looks confused. Gertner says, In my expert opinion, Devon won the contest long before you executed your mediocre pinfall attempt. He won the contest on points. Bubba walks towards him. If you wouldn't mind, could you please move your massive body out of the view of the camera? Fat boy. Bubba grabs him, goes for a bar bomb but out comes Axel, who levels Bubba with a sign, levels and sign guy, sorry, with a chair that makes more sense here's Spike Dudley Spike cleans house hits a bulldog running up the turnbuckle Spike runs into a close line from Axel and then Axel and Gertner yes Gertner take control <laughs> out comes Big Dick Dudley Devon and Axel clear off but Gertner doesn't know what's coming Gertner gets surrounded by Dick and Bubba begs off god there's a line Gertner gets surrounded <laughs> by Dick there we go that's Yeah, you can tell about don't these notes when we go on air. Uh, Boa signals a big dick, Dudley Salt, big dick hits the Dudley Cell and basically lands on top of Gertner, which cannot have been fun. Uh Chris, what do you think of all this?
3: Well, seeing the fact that last month I was done with the Dudley feud after this match, I'm actually quite happy and I want to see more of it. How, what a difference a couple of weeks can make. Um Bubba and Devon, the match was, as you'd expect, a big boy brawl, but Bubba has got some real good jobs in him. Um, That, as you said, the flip, or the flapjack diamond cutter finish was absolutely amazing. Um, Why, why has, you know, Big Dick Dudley only just now found that he can do a moonsault? He should have been doing that a lot earlier. And, the quintessential stud muffin, getting fucked up. I can watch that again.
4: Roy? Yeah, uh, so, um, I think the last uh, ECW show I was on, it uh, was back in uh, June, I think, and I said I don't think this Dudley feud has quite caught fire in the, way it, in the way they really wanted. And even now, I'm still left a little bit cold by it. Um, this match... Early on descended into what we now have to call a standard ECW brawl, trademark included, which was a bit of a shame. I would have liked to see these two just – I, would, I would just wish somebody had laid out the match slightly differently. I mean, you've got Devon hitting Bubble with a ukulele. Okay, what does that mean? That's, that ties into their feud. How, exactly? And – where they, did he find the ukulele from? He found a ukulele in the crowd, and yes, oh. crowd, crowd weapons, da di da da. I know, I know, that's what the crowd do. They like seeing their weapons used by wrestlers in the in the ECW. I'm aware of that, but it, it doesn't. It, that's the thing. It doesn't really matter in the context of the match. Fans just want to see their weapons get used, and that's one of my problems with the ECW crowd. But anyway, that, that's by the by. The match was fine. It wasn't bad. wasn't bad by any means, but uh, it was a bit too standard for my liking. Until that finish, as I think we're going to call it, that was. Unbelievable! It looked stunning, and they got the the timing down to the absolute millisecond. It was it was a finish in anybody's book twice on Sunday. Absolutely magnificent! I hope that uh hope keeps that one in his repertoire. Because that is solid gold. And the post match stuff uh, was good. It's always good to see. Uh, Gertner is a is a complete dick. It's always good to see him get a bit of a kick in. Um, the face Dudley stand tall at the end, which is good. I think this should probably be the end for at least this particular side of the Dudley's feud now, though, because I don't think there's much legs left in it. But, um, well, for anything else, that finish rules all.
2: Chris, I'll come to you, right? Yeah. Okay. There's memories going here, I think. Anyway, it's time to couple of times in the last few months. Uh, yeah, the, I, I agree with you, Roy. Um, the, You know, it 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 just doesn't quite. You know, the 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 Dudley Bubba Ray thing has been going on for, or Divo Bubba thing's been going for a long while. I'm not sure how much I could tell you about it, which is never the best sign. Just feels like a feud that's just happening. The matches are all exactly the same as this one, kind of was admittedly with a fucking brilliant ending. But other than that, it's like okay, you know. It's almost like they're, they're kind of married to this Dudley thing because they're all in quite, quite the same family, so they've kind of got to be perpetually feuding with each other. But it's almost like I'm, I'm kind of tuning out these matches because they don't really matter, and I'm kind of wondering where the fans are as well. Um, this match, they, the fans fell into it for a while, and to an extent because it was the third match on the card. But even I, you know, you watch this and I, I kind of got the feeling that the, the air fell out of the crowd towards the final third of the match. Um, it's okay. The go the stuff's good. That was needed. The post-match stuff's a bit of a, a bit of a mess. Some of it good, some of it bad, but that's kind of what this, this whole kind of program's all about. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to see six more months of these two going at it. Cause there's, there's not enough variety to make it work. I don't, there's enough storyline to make it work. Um, that's not also not the last time I'm going to be saying that tonight. Um, here we go, we move on. Oh boy, these notes, here we go. Right, Rob Van Dam and Sabu versus the Eliminators, Saturn and Cronus in what will be a number one contendership match for the ECW Tag Titles. The winners will face the Gangsters for the titles later in the show. We start with Sabu and Saturn. Saturn hits a shoulder block but runs into a hit toss or an exchange of arm drags. We get to Van Dam and Cronus. A large fuck Sabu chant breaks out. Cronus hits a suplex who then hits a the belly to back for two. The match finally breaks down. Well, I I know, took about 30 seconds. Saturn and Van Damme in the ring and Krenis and Sabu on the floor. Saturn hits a power slam on the floor. Van Damme goes for a power ball of sorts and nearly drops Saturn on his head. He then follows that with a rolling leg drop. Saturn hits a second rope moonsault and Sabu breaks it up with a drop kick. Cronus goes for a head scissors but Van Dam just drops in with a powerbomb Van Damme hits a spin kick Cronus staggers into the corner and Sabu just launches a chair into his face Sabu then hits a triple job trysting leg drop and an Arabian face buster Sabu, Saturn breaks it up Cronus throws Van Damme into Saturn who hits a great leg drop over Van Damme's shoulders that looks really nice Sabu gets a chin lock in or Saturn does, sorry Sabu launches a chair in so Saturn just flips out Throwing Sabu into the crowd before throwing himself over the guard route after him. Cronus hits a crossbody to Van Damme on the floor. Sabu hits a voting leg drop off a chair. He then does a somersault leg drop off it for a two. Van Damme picks up a chair. Cronus goes for a drop kick and it's difficult to tell who won that one. Meanwhile, Saturn his Sabu on the top then hits a slingshot clothesline to the floor. Saturn and Sabu are on the floor Curtis hits a handspring plancher over the top onto them, Van Damme then follows that with a somersault planche. plancher Sabu then hits a triple jump plancher onto them as well, yeah makes sense of all that that all happened in exactly the same spot outside Sabu sets for a triple jump Saturn scales to the top and crops him off with a crossbody Saturn hits a diamond cutter, there's a table popped across the guardrail and apron Sabu uh, and Saturn battle, Sabu goes for a spinning DDT but basically ends up going through the table knee first we get big ECW chance. Sabu puts a chair in Kronos' face in the corner Van Damme runs it in with another and Kronis, he eats a steel sandwich Saturn goes to the top and comes off with a lovely elbow drop onto Van Dam for a two we actually get a hand clap from the fans Sabu hits an Arabian face buster on Saturn. Sabu just launches a chair at Cronus. Sand almost takes it with a roll-up. Another hand clap. That's three nows down. Down hits a spin kick on Cronus. Sabu hits a split leg moonsault. Cronus hits a flipping something from the top. We eventually just get the bell ring. The fans chant three-way dance. They're about to announce a 20-minute time-out draw until Todd Gordon comes out and announces five more minutes. Kronos hits a powerbomb on both guys there's another three way dance chant we get a double leap frog from the eliminators and then a lovely front on scissor kick from Saturn Sabu hits a DDT Van Damme puts Saturn on his shoulders Sabu comes off the top and basically drives Saturn head first into the mat we get a lovely roundhouse kick into super kick congo by the eliminators Kronos comes off the top with a forearm Saturn goes for a moonsault but Van Dam moves Van Damme goes to the top but Kronos hits a running powerbomb Kronos goes for a 4.50, splash but misses. Saturn hits a moonsault for a 2, the bell rings again and the fans chant three-way dance. Saturn himself announces five more minutes. Gordon gets in the ring to check on Sabu and then agrees and we start again. Sabu flies from the second rope, rams Saturn into the guardrail and the base just carries on going into the crowd. Saturn comes off of the top with a big knee drop on Sabu for a 2, Van down, then breaks it up satin hits a frankensteiner But Dan cronus get crotched on the turnbuckle Sab- Saturn and sabu try the same springboard move and collide with each other the bell rings again time to call this one I think fans chant three way dance again gordon says neither of teams can be called losers so it'll be a three way dance for the titles that hardly seems fair on these two teams that have beaten the fucking shit out of each other rory rest our watch for a what do you think
4: oh my word <laughs> quite simply I knew this one was going to go long when, after about only about four or five minutes, pinfall attempts were being kicked out of and blocked and uh, broken up at zero counts. So I knew we were in for the long haul at that point. One thing I want to say right off the bat: I thought this was a star-making, uh, star-making performance by John Cronus in particular. He was fucking amazing out there uh, as a, a big guy who can go. I mean, he, he clearly he clearly been working out for this match. Uh, Joey Styles alluded to it that he had dropped 30 pounds and he looked fantastic, and everything he did was was magnificent. So I hope that's got that has got noticed, in amongst the ten zillion other spots and moves we saw during this one. And it was balls to the wall, and they got a few things wrong. When you set the set the bar that high, you're gonna make mistakes, especially when you consider two of the people who are on one of the teams. Uh, and I think it was in I can barely remember. I think it was in the First period of overtime when RVD had Saturn on his shoulders. I think, I think Savu was supposed to run him off and he just missed it completely. And it was also a double DDT spot they screwed up before that just as well. There are others. If you screw things up that many times in a match, I can't really let it off, but at the same time, I can understand why it happens because they want to go out there and they want to give us the absolute best. That's one of ECW's hallmarks. So whilst I I can't necessarily accept it, I can understand it. But this this match, more than anything, proves that they got the running order wrong. I would have, as as, as much as I enjoyed the opener, I would probably have opened with this match, or at the very least had it second. Knowing that they're going 25 minutes and absolutely leaving it all out there, and now knowing what we do now that about half an hour later they both need to have another match, with the flipping gangsters no less, I think that was a bit unfair. But I can't pick out any real individual spots in this match. I'm still not absolutely sure if it was a quote-unquote great match or not, but it was one fucking amazing watch.
3: Chris? Well, I have to go with Rory there. Cronus deserves like massive, massive pops for this one. Um, he, he's normally the forgotten one of, of the Eliminators and then on top of that, you, you put him in a match with Sabu and RVD and you know what Sabu and RVD are going to do. You know the flip de and the stuff that they, they somehow manage to come up with every time. But the fact that Cronus shone in this just shows how good he is. Talking about Sabu and, you know, just making random moves up, what the fuck was he coming up with the chair flip somersault leg drop? I know. I'm going to put a chair down. I'm going to pl- jump off it with one foot with a somersault leg drop. What, Why where not... does he come up with this shit? <laughs> is it literally like, oh I reckon I could do that. Let's try
2: it. What's more concerning is the stuff that he comes up with that he decides it isn't it he can't do. Like the, 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 what, what does Sabu think is too dangerous? What's missing the cut in these matches? I don't know, but that that worries me more.
3: Yeah, um, as Rory said, this this is an amazing match. Um, there's there's just there's too many spots and too many moments to sort of list them all off as of sort of where Sabu, Tal, uh, Sabu and RBD do stuff that only those two can do. You've got Saturn who I think is just as crazy as Sabu, who just doesn't have the agility that Sabu has. I think if he did, he would be doing some of that shit too. Um <laughs> The the only my only little gripe with this is the five more minutes overtimes. The first one might have been about five minutes. The second one was about two. And I think that... I know it was obviously needed because they were going to the draw and then they were going to have another match afterwards. But you can tell the difference in time, especially when they're not doing as much in that second quarter, that second period and the time was that much quicker it it did sort of sort of a bit of a downer on it chris has the five
2: more minutes thing ever worked in wrestling
3: no it never works but
2: it, it, like, it, it, you know i mean the fans are gonna chant it well the fans actually didn't chant it funny enough they got the bell rang and they started chanting three way down um but yeah like i've i, I yeah we, we've seen it quite a few times i, I think the the pillman johnny b bad match in wcw that went half an hour i think was 20 plus 5 plus 3 or something like that um and we see it in ecw quite a bit we see it fairly often i just don't think it works like i you know like it's it breaks up the rhythm of the match and inevitably like it, it, if you did one and you had a finish all right but when you do another like you know why say f- why you know we want to look at this really logically why say five more minutes and then get to the end of the five minutes and then say, Oh, we'll do five more. No, just like carry on. Like can't the first time say we're gonna have a winner. Yeah. And then I don't know, like I, I don't obviously you, you want to get to a draw, so I don't know how you do that. Maybe you say you know, whatever. Like, who cares? Why do we need to, why have a time limit if you get to the end of the time limit and then you say fuck it, we'll do a bit more. What's the point? But anyway, is this that, it, that,
3: is that, football analogy it should be next goal wins. Just if they're gonna do that you know, if you're going to have a, oh, we need to continue on. Either have next goal wins or call it the draw.
2: How, what would it mean next goal wins? Isn't that just the next pinfall?
3: Well, <laughs> sort of do something with, you know you do something that it goes until someone gets the pin instead of oh, five more minutes. Oh no, five more minutes. Well, that, that, that's,
2: that's just a match, isn't
3: it? Fair point.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, all right. I, I, I'm being a bit picky, but I, I just think the the whole five more minutes added on time thing. If still can make it work, fair fucks. But I I, I think it's 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 harder than people probably think. This match was predictably really fucking good. I agree with Rory. I don't even know if it was a great match. Um, it's the usual Sabu Van Dam thing. There's so much fucking shit going on. Like it's very difficult to follow. My notes, as you can tell, were very very long. Um, but it was just really good. Like for, we 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 see about Crow. There's to an extent quite rightly, because uh, we're probably more going to be inclined to single out Van Damme and Sabu, and to a an ex- certain extent Saturn, who generally does more crazy shit. But Kroos deserves his pops, so with the shape he's in, and the stuff he did in this match. Um, as they all did, it was a really, really good match, but I couldn't help Rory getting to the end of the match, and as I say, you, know, you two have praised it, and I could do for a while, but I'm not going to. Uh, I couldn't help feeling, get to the end of the match, and thinking... This seems a trifle unfair on both of these sides. They've got to go out later on in the same night and wrestle another match.
4: Exactly. They're out there giving it their all. And I mean their all for 25, 30 minutes. And then they've got to go in there with, with the gangsters, no less, about half an hour later. I thought that was really, really unfair. And I say, if they were going to do a draw, a just drop the five more minutes rubbish nobody believes it if you're going to do a, a 30 minute broadway do a 30 minute broadway but for these guys give them a chance to recover and do it earlier in the show
2: yeah anyway we move on mike wittreck versus chris candino candino grabs the mic and basically has got all the fans demanding uh has a go sorry all the fans are demanding sonny she's not fucking here we get a lovely exchange between the two full of counters Mikey hits a lovely northern light suplex with the bridge for a two then hits a frankensteiner over the top to the floor Mikey goes up top and hits a clothesline to Candido in the crowd back in the ring Mikey goes for a shoulder tackle from the top but Candido slams him Candido hits a leg drop from the second rope then goes for a power ball Mikey slides over uh, over the top to sit out power bomb for a two Mikey hits a back body drop Candido hits a hurricane runner for a two. Mikey kicks out, and Candido shouts "What the fuck!" at the referee. For a big headbutt that but eats the canvas. Mikey hits a big jumping side kick for a two. Mikey comes off the top with another kick for a two, then top again with a drop kick. Candido hits out, kicks out. Candido hits a low blow. Mikey goes for a roll up, then a moonsault, but Candido really, really well catches him, hits a tombstone, but he can't capitalize. Candido hits a powerbomb from the second rope and pins Mikey for the win. Candido grabs the microphone. He says he spent the last two years carrying pieces of shit, but tonight Mikey was the one doing that. Rory.
4: Good stuff here. Really enjoyed this. Um, really great to see Chris Candido being Chris Candido and not being some fitness guy. who's? <laughs> Why am I supposed to care about you just because you like keeping fit? Okay, fair enough. That's just WWF characterization for you. This guy can go. This guy can really go. He's got the tools. He's got a great look. Uh, his moveset is down. Uh, his stuff looks powerful. Uh, he's good on defense when he needs to be. And I think he's in the right place uh, from an in-ring perspective. Um, Mikey... Mikey was now Mikey, and that is a positive. If we said Mikey is Mikey a year ago, you know what I would have meant. But um, from his title title run, which I, which still baffles me, <laughs> to where he is now, night and day in the ring, the guy has worked so hard.
2: Also uh, helps that so he's not working with Sandman. Uh, <laughs>
4: don't, don't, don't get me started on that one. Uh, but he's worked so hard to improve, uh, and he is now... I say it every time, but rightly so. He is, I and mean, this is no criticism. He is a good hand. His role now is pretty much the ECW equivalent of a jobber to the stars. But so, uh, I don't have a problem with that. I think he's always going to be popular. People are always going to like him. He's always going to give anybody uh, a good to very good match. And uh, the right person won some really good spots. So the, the catch into the uh, the stomp tombstone was uh, was a real thumbs up. And uh, these two worked well together, and they gave us a. Uh, a really fun uh, 11-12 minute match. So, again, thumbs up here.
2: Yeah, sorry, I I, I briefly forgot what I even mentioned, the tombstone. Yeah, that was really, really really good. Um, It was just about safe enough, but, yeah, fair play. Mikey's not a small dude, and Candino caught him in a tombstone position, kind of, like, grabbed onto his, like, trousers and then just dropped him into a tombstone. Really, really nice. Chris?
3: This is your wrestling for the evening, you know, as as we've always said, when we're having ECW, we get a bit of everything. And when they do the wrestling, they do the wrestling really bloody well. Um, obviously, Mikey before being like a really good worker, but this match actually was so much a showcase for Candido of what the fuck would WWF doing with him and wasting him when you have this guy that's this fucking good. You know, um obviously the whole body donor spiel was. Absolute garbage. Uh but here he can be himself, he's showing how good of a wrestler he is, and probably the reason why the WF signed him as well. Um we get this and more of it, I'll be happy with it.
2: Yeah, uh just a good match. Um, you know between two good guys I, I agree with Roy I, I think to an extent Mikey probably a lot of Mikey's improvement was probably in the first three or four months of last year um, he just kind of got to the point where they started using him as a major character and as we kind of know with ECW we're going to get later on tonight the higher up the roster you get the, the, the worse the people you work with become um So now he's kind of dropped back into mid-card Mikey role, and he's a bit more flexible. He can work with a few more different people. Chris Candido comes in. It's like, oh, shit, he's a good worker. We can have a good match. Um, And Mikey's now in a position where things are starting to look good as well. One thing I think, if you watch Mikey's early run in ECW, you can see stuff like, well, he's got moves down, but there's not real much fluidity to it. He's starting to pick up that now too. And it, it... you know, we, we talk about good things about ECW and them utilising their talents. It's a little bit strange that the more Mikey's improved, the less they're using him in major roles. And I know to an extent it's more storyline driven and they just don't have anything for him right now. Um, but he's a bit like Stevie Richards. It's like I look at the guys you're using and the guys you're not, um, or the guys you're using less He'd be a guy that I might push more. Match was good. Uh, Candido's in a bit of an odd spot in that, like he's trying to get heat, but he's wrestling a real babyface style, and the fans kind of respect him, and and all of that, all a bit up and down. Um, but yeah, he he's a useful addition to to the card, and a, in a show where the match quality is definitely up and down, uh, this match was very much welcomed. We move on to the aforementioned three-way dance. It's the eliminators Saturn and Cronus, uh, versus Sabu and Rob Van Dam versus the gangsters New Jack and Mustafa for the ECW tag team titles. It's a big-ass brawl. Sabu lobs a chair at New Jack. The chair bounces off of New Jack and Nujak actually unfolds itself. That was probably the best thing of the entire show. Um, yeah, he just, he, he threw a chair at New Jack. It hit New Jack. It then bounced off of New Jack and then unfolded. That's brilliant. Anyway, uh, Sabu launches himself to the floor. This is so hard to follow. I've got it in my notes. The hits a lovely suplex on Sabu. Van Damme is in the crowd with Saturn, I think. Saturn and Sabu head towards the entrance. Saturn and Sabu then end up towards the eagle's nest. Cronus hits something from the second rope, but we miss it as the camera cuts to Saturn coming off the eagle's, ne- eagle's nest. Van Damme hits a big kick in the ring on Saturn. New Jack is bloodied at his Saturn. He thinks, uh, thinks he was coming in actually, to be honest, for Saturn's concern. There's a table propped up over the guardrail. Sabu runs through the second rope straight into a chair. Van Damme follows soon after with a plancher sabu goes for a triple drop moonsault but actually pulls out when he sees the table clear he does it again stops again and then just goes through it anyway but no there's nobody there so sabu putting himself through a table no surprise there van damme spots taz and goes after him but runs straight into a taz mission in the way. sabu clocks it before he can do anything even if he wanted to he gets hit by a total elimination he gets pinned and van damme and sabu are eliminated New Jack then comes off the top and then gets a win with a pin. I can't remember which one he pinned. Uh, Chris, what do you think of this match?
3: It was what you'd expect when you get the gangsters there. It was a hard to follow ring wide brawl. Um you know, lots of blood, lots of weapons. You know, it's what it should be. Probably not helped by the fact that, you know, two of these teams have just done a 30 minute monster of a match really sort of didn't help them going in to start with, but I do like the, the Taz coming out part of it and sort of distracting them and that total elimination they hit is beautiful.
2: Rory?
4: If uh, the teams of the Eliminators and RVD Sabu hadn't felt slighted before, they certainly would have done what they found out, despite of all their efforts. Going back out there again 20 minutes later, Neither one of them was actually even going to be winning the titles, <laughs> so I'm I'll, I'll rankle with them. Yeah, um, I'm not sure this match would have been even much better if they hadn't had the 30 minutes. Though, having said that, because uh, Gangster's Gun a Gangster, and it was always going to be a, uh, a Gangster's match, and there were some uh, some notable moments in there. They they they, they always seem to raise their own bar, and so. D- d- Please do tell them I said that. Um, a good length at ten minutes. I liked the Taz stuff, and I liked the fact that it was RVD he attacked, sort of using RVD as some sort of gatekeeper to get to uh, to get to Sabu. I thought that was good, and that tied into the finish quite nicely. But um, it was a very intense. It wasn't just a standard ECW brawl because uh, the gangsters don't do anything by halves. But um, from this one, I pretty much got what I was expecting, and. Uh, I'll settle for that just about, but uh, I'm disappointed that neither of the other teams picked up the titles here,
2: really. I thought they overplayed their hand here. Um, Like The the idea of a three-way dance was quite nice, but the execution wasn't really much of any note, and the the drama that this match should have had involving these three teams was a lot higher than what we got. Um, It felt like this felt just like any other match. And I'm sure it probably felt different in the arena. I'm sure it did. Um, we always kind of have to say that we're watching these shows and th- there's always going to be a different vibe in ring. Fair enough. Um, but it, it just didn't quite click for me. It wasn't, you know, and, and to an extent, you can't blame them for, for not going that long, given that, you know, the two of the teams had just you know, beat the fuck out of each other for 30 minutes. Um, but, I wouldn't have done this match tonight, and I'm not sure I would have done this match at all in this kind of guise. Um, and it also felt a bit strange in that, and I, I know they've, you know, we reference it later in the show, we reference it on TV afterwards as well. They built a show around a three-way down six-man tag before. I don't know why you wouldn't build another event around this match. I know it's November to remember it's a big show, but it this... Like, I don't think anyone was any better off for this match. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think two teams being pinned really necessarily helped anybody. And to me, it probably would have made a lot more sense if you were going to do the Taz angle in the aisle way. Why not do that in the tag match earlier in the show as a way of having a finish in that match uh, yes. in the in the Sabu Van Dam Eliminators match yep. as have, have, have do that there have the Eliminators win and then you can do Eliminators and Gangsters later in the show with the added out of what you've got uh, Rory it just didn't quite work for me This uh, I, I'm not even sure the match was any good either I, I, yeah. I don't really make a big point of that I don't think it, as, as ECW ArenaWide brawls go I think this is too hard to follow
4: yeah, it was uh, too, too hard to follow, right? I say it had an intensity level, but that didn't add an extra quality level to it at all. Uh, here I even noticed the big mistakes, even more than I did earlier. I thought Sabu having three attempts at, uh, to, to leap through the table, that just stretched credibility. Uh, there was major selling issues with that particular spot, just waiting for him to do it. It was just, just things I saw that we were bringing myself through a table. That was really ugly. I say with three separate brawls going on, you almost have to just pick and choose one of them and hope you hope you select a good one. It was a, it was a it was a mess, a mess with always something to try and do your best to keep an eye on, but uh, it's still a mess is still a mess. And no, I've, but I do know this match wasn't very good. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be, but I don't think that's much of a defence.
2: No, we, we, I, I think we said it already, but we, we need to give the, the four guys involved some caveat to that to an extent it was the fault of the guys to send him out Chris any more thoughts
3: no I think between the three of us we've pretty much covered everything about this one now
2: Joey Styles introduces two Cold Scorpio Styles gives Scorpio a proper farewell fans chant sell out at him Scorpio says he isn't going to miss any of you motherfuckers he says he can wrestle in two places Scorpio says he knows there's a tradition of passing the torch, so he says, "I'm going to do a job for the next motherfucker that comes out." The next person who comes out has to leave ECW for 15 days if he loses. Out comes Devon Storm. I won't do it we'll, we'll, we'll do match for a match. It won't stop at the end of each match because there is one after another here. So we start with two calls Scorpio versus Devon Storm. The loser has to leave ECW for 15 days. Scorpio hits a lovely drop kick, hits the tumbleweed, and wins the match. Scorpio gets back on the mic and says, bring on another one. Out comes both Guido and JT Smith. Smith offers himself forward. Scorpio says the loser of this leaves for 30 days. Next up, it's 2Cold Scorpio versus JT Smith. Smith goes for a monkey flip. Scorpio hits a side slam, goes to the top, hits a moonsault, and wins the match again. In my notes, in big castle letters, I've got two matches in a row, two top rope wins. What the fuck is going on? Out comes Hack Myers. Scorpio says, right, 60 days on this one. So it's two cold Scorpio versus Hack Myers in a match where the loser has to leave ECW for 60 days. The first line of my notes simply reads, shah, 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 shit, 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 shit. A big forearm, but only a two from Myers. Scorpio hits a belly to back, calls for a 450, hits a 450 and wins the match. Fancy a bit bummed out by that. Out comes Louis Ficoli to to Myers. Spicoli ups the ante to one year, or Scorpio does, sorry. Um, he's, Scorpio slaps Ficoli. Scorpio says his misty partner at Survivor Series will be Louis tomorrow night. Scorpio says he's going to beat him in one minute, and then they can leave together and go back to the WWF. Spicoli obviously used to be Brad Bradford. Two goals, Scorpio versus Luis Spicoli. The loser must leave ECW for one year. Scorpio hits a power slam, a two, then a lovely power bomb. Scorpio goes to the top, hits a leg drop, but Louis kicks out a two. He goes for a moonsault, misses. Spicoli hits a lovely spine buster for a two. Scorpio hits a close eye off the top, another two. Spicoli hits a death valley driver, and that's enough to win the match. Scorpio gets that hey, 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 goodbye treatment. He says, fuck that shit. Out comes Taz. Taz says he's settled the score with him. He can get out or get his fucking ass. Scorpio says he's going where there's bigger bosses, bigger arenas, and big money. Taz grabs the mic and says, Bye-bye, Flash. Pops the crowd. Get the fuck out of my house, bitch. That segment does continue, but we'll cut off there for a very good reason. Chris, what do you think of all this? It
3: was a really good sort of way to get too colder out. Um, the whole fact obviously everyone knew about it, and the fact that he came out as the cocky heel of, yeah, I'm going. I can do both things, and I'm getting all the money was really, really cool. Um, seeing him pull out all three of his big top rope finishes is great. Um, obviously, helps to put over the fact that JT's gone. As we said in the news, he's obviously leaving, so, you know, him losing in this match means that he's, he's now got his out. Um, I'm not sure on why they've put Hank out for 60 days, or whether they'll actually keep to that. But we'll wait and see. But having Louis beat him, I think, really puts Louis over. Because obviously, as as we always do when the the person leaves, they do go over by putting pass the passing torch and putting someone over. And I think this really did help put Louis over because Louis did take some of the big stuff from Court Scorpio. But yeah, he still beat him. And yeah, it was only a couple of minutes, but they got their shit in and it made it look good for a couple of minutes.
2: Right.
4: Uh, I'm really in two minds about this one. I think I've just about come down on the negative side. I get what they were going for by getting a variation on the theme with Scorpio actively saying that, that, yes, he is actually leaving. But having match after match, building up the ante each time, I think that's being a bit too clever by half, if I'm honest. And I'm not sure the fans cared as much as they wanted them to, because I think they knew. Okay, they might not have known that Louis Piccoli was going to get the eventual victory, but uh, they 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 smelt a rat. I think. Uh, I like what they were going for, but they were probably trying just a wee bit too hard. Scorpio played his role brilliantly. I mean, I, I mean, when I read sheets, people criticise uh, his uh, his mic work. I think that's unfair. I think on the mic, he's uh, he's pretty good. Whether he'll have an, enough freedom in the WWF to um. Uh, to express himself in that way, I, I I have my doubts on that one, but uh, I hope I'm wrong. So yes, he made, he 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 was excellent in this. He played his role perfectly. This is just absolute dick heel. Yeah, you know, I'm going to stay here even I'm supposed to be going. What are you going to do about it? But the concept of it was a, a little was on the whole a bit too much of a stretch for me. But um, props to Scorpio. And, uh, I I wish him well. He deserves it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah this was a weird. 15 minutes, Um one in the sense that if you were going to do it exactly like this, I think this would have been better done earlier in the show, even if it was Scorpio's send-off, like this, like this was where the show really started to drag, and you're like, ugh, there's, there's, there's no, there was no, that was the thing, like, there was, the, these, these, in, these individual matches, okay, 15 days ain't that long, these 30 days to an extent, these individual matches should have been important. The year-long stipulation, Scorpio versus Spicoli, should have, in theory, been important if it was meant to matter. Now, you might say, well, every, everyone in the building knows Scorpio's off the WWF. Everyone knew he was leaving, so there would have been no drama in setting up the match, and you'd have been right. But then the question was, why do it in the first place? Um, but that's another story. It was just too many things one after another, and I've been so fucked off by Scorpio not pinning people with the top right moves, it's kind of pissed me off even more that he's now <laughs> started doing <laughs> like I mean, you know, like, I mean it's like it, the, that's 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 been one of the strangest things I could like. Th- there are so few people uh, aside from a small chunk of guys in WCW that can do these kind of moves, and yet we've got Scorpio can't beat people with a four fifty splash, and yet Shane Douglas can beat people with a belly to belly suplex. Like there's just and Scorpio's not a small dude. This isn't a size thing. Scorpio lands you with a four fifty splash. He should be done but that pissed me off just as much it just didn't like I don't know what they were trying to achieve with this other than to try and fill a bit of time and try and write out too cold Scorpio otherwise like you could have, there was plenty of ways you could have done it um, it just felt like they were trying to be too clever and it just didn't click anyway Taz calls out Sabu Bob Ortiz gets into the ring Ortiz says there's another match that needs to start Taz takes Ortiz hostage out comes the cavalry. Todd Gordon says it is in his time. Taz puts him in the Taz mission. Taz then hits Hayman with the Tazplex. There's a lot of carnage going on. And then the lights go out. Joey Styles, I I don't know why Joey Styles does this, but the lights go out and Joey Styles screams, there's someone in the ring! It's like, no, don't blow the spot. Like We, we know that's coming, but don't screw like that. Anyway, the lights come back on. It's Sabu. The crowd i visceral reaction, finally, to which my response was, why the fuck didn't you do this eight months ago? But who cares? They charge at each other. The lights go out again. Fans chant bullshit. The lights come back up, and there's nobody there. Chris, was this uh, effective tease? Are we calling it that?
3: This was the the perfect way to tease this match. My only issue is I would have had this at the very end of the night. This is what I was saying earlier with um, how the show point. was running and how the show flowed. I think after this, the crowd lost their shit so much that the title match and the tag main event suffered for it. I mean, if if this if the end of the show, you had that image, the lights go out, lights come back up, em, rings empty end of the show that would have been just like absolutely amazing and that's how they should have done it I think having that and then the crowd are so fucking hyped because they're going we're finally going to get to Sabu and then oh no look oh we've got Douglas or Dreamer and or Sandman and Raven next yay it it killed the atmosphere in the arena but as as an angle in a moment I think mean, it has to be said, one of the the best moments in ECW this year.
2: Yeah, th- my main issue with Sabu and Taz is that it feels like they wanted to build up this big running feud with them, but it also felt like they just didn't want to do the feud at the time. So we essentially just had to endure six months of just bollocks, where this idea that, Sabu, who is sort of a babyface in an ECW sort of babyface mode, keeps getting called out by the heel but never reacts for no fucking reason. And then we get to November and it's like, okay, now we're going to start this programme again. We'll start doing angles on TV. Oh, well, we can now put them together. Rory, that arbitrary nature aside, this was really good.
3: It
4: was really good. If you could look past the, the logic floor of why somebody would turn the lights off turn them on again, turn them off again, and turn them on again, they, then they would disappear. If you can look past that, and I can, then this is this is how you build a main event feud. And this is now a main event feud. And I agree with everything you said about it, Bob. There have been times throughout the year where I think uh, they were very, very close to the, to the moment passing on this one. I think they've just about got it back on track. And if their pay-per-view does happen, this is going to be the marquee main event match, and quite rightly so. And I think Chris absolutely nailed it about its placement uh, placement on the card. That's uh, the lights going out and teasing us finally getting Sabu Vitas. That's your main event of the evening, I think. The other two matches couldn't follow it. And there was a marked drop-off in the the crowd involvement in what what they tried to call the double main event after this. When the lights came on and Sabu was there, the crowd... Bayed. I mean, ECW crowds allowed at the best of times, but this was unlike anything certainly I've ever seen or heard when I've been watching ECW. This was the fans really sensing that they were finally going to get what they've been looking for for well over a year. And it was taken away from them. Not necessarily a bad thing in its own right, but the crowd were after that. They were pretty dead. They barely came alive for anything in the big two matches. So a well-worked idea, despite the logic flaws. But again with ECW, they they get 90% right, but it's always the 10% that lets them down.
2: Yeah, the, I agree about the placement. Um, I mean, uh, you know, th- there is something to be said for, if you'd have done this at the end of the show, it might not have got a great reaction. There could be something to be said for that, although, in part, I would say that's probably a testament to the fact the show probably could have been too long and tooth by that point. Um, yeah, I, I think to an extent, you're, the best way to react to this is if you really want to break it down, it does kind of break apart. But some things you just got to kind of enjoy and go with. I think this angle's definitely one of those things. And then it's like, okay, I can sit here and say that they probably just held it off for the sake of holding it off. But, uh, you know, it's a good storyline with a few logic holes. But it's going to lead to, in theory, a really big match. And the match, sure, when it happens, should be really, really good. My only fear is that it's going to be a match, as we've seen with ECW a lot before, that they just won't have a winner of. We've seen that so many times before. They'll do a big match and there'll be some kind of shenanigans, whatever. Like, uh, If anything, I'd love this to just be a one-and-done match. If we get it at the pay-per-view... Taz probably beats Sabu, or the other way around, and then that's it. And then we don't know more. You know, a, a clean like if, if you're going to build a big match like this, a proper big, you know, eighteen months feud, two year feud. If you want to look back far enough, just build it to one big match and deliver it. Don't, don't ECW the hell out of it. But we'll we'll discuss that nearer the time. Move on. We got a pro from Raven. Raven calls himself the single greatest wrestler on the planet. Well. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in the ring at the time, he might have been correct. <laughs> just look, if you were looking at the group, well, wave in fact, said, no, Richards was in the ring. No, Steve he was, was in the, in the ring, there. come on. Yeah, he's something right there. Um here's Richards in a suit of-ish. Uh, he says he's here to give us some insightful commentary. You people wouldn't know a wrist lock from a wristwatch. Sure, you've seen plenty of Hurricane Rana's, plenty of moonsaults, but that is horseshit. To tell you the truth, I don't give a fuck if you enjoy this match or not. He's here to see Raven win the belt and see Raven give the people a wrestling seminar. Here we go. It's Raven with Tyler, Laurie, Stevie, Meany and Nova versus the Sandman for the ECW title. Richards is actually doing commentary through the arena, mic. Raven hits an arm drag into an arm lock before shooting into the Sandman into the ring post. Stevie says Raven is working Sandman's left arm, which is a good strategy as Sandman is a lefty. Good point, that. Sandman says Raven threw the ropes by Richards. They get out of the way, but Raven hits the guardrail. Sandman says Raven into the guardrail once, then again, but Meevin and Nova catch him, and Raven hits the Sandman blindside with a big kick. Raven goes for a left arm again, Sandman hits a low blow, with Me distracting the ref. Sandman dumps Raven to the outside and gains control, barking basically with one arm. God, I mean, Sandman with two arms is bad enough, but him, him trying to sell with one arm is probably even more dangerous. Sandman sets up a t- table, but Raven sort of bulldogs him through it. Raven runs at Sandman with a chair, but gets a boot in the face. Sandman hits a DDT, but appears to pick Raven up before the three. Sandman decks the ref, Richards jumps onto Sandman, and Raven hits him with a chair. Raven hits a DDT, Nova Richards set up a table, Mini goes to the top, Richards goes for a superkick to Sandman on the table, Sandman ducks, and Raven gets super kicked. Mini comes off the top, overshoots the table, Sandman covers Raven for a two, Sandman gets super kicked. Raven drops a leg onto the tail, which Salman is buried under. Salman beats Raven into the corner. Tyler jumps uh, jumps in to block him. So they both kind of sat in front of each other. Rory comes up behind and takes a load of swings with the cane and eventually hits Salman. I can't work out if that was a plan or not. I think it probably was. Uh Raven hits a DDT for a two count. Mini squashes Salman in the corner. Raven clips Salman with a super kick. Raven hits a DDT for a two count. Here comes a piece of the guardrail. Raven loads up his boot, of course he does. Misses a kick. Salman rolls him up for a two. The guardrail gets lent up against the the um, ropes. Salman hits a DDT onto it onto Raven, and that will do that. Chris,
3: well, we'll start with the super positives. Stevie on commentary was so funny. Um, these two, you know, Raven Raven's good, but. You can only do so much carrying of how awful Sandman is. Um and even even the story between these two is getting a bit sort of thin now. You know Yes, I get it, he has his kid, he has his family. Um But it, it should have had a blow off by now. I mean I think mean it's it has definitely run its course. Um Laurie should never get in the ring ever or be given a cane because... How much she swung and missed. It, it was awful. Um, I'm hoping that this is it now for these two because I'm pretty done. I'd rather get back to Raven and Dreamer. Roy. Oh
4: man. <laughs> okay. Again, let's get the good stuff out of the way. I'm not thinking you know of who I mean here. Uh, is there anything Stevie cannot do? His commentary not only was it entertaining, it was genuinely insightful. I mean, when he said um, Raven is working, working working the correct arm here because Sandman is left-handed and the crowd actually applauded, I was like, God, this man is just the greatest. So, again, just yet more Stevie love here. I suppose I've got to talk about the match now. So let me get this straight. Uh, so Raven's stolen uh, the Sandman's son. He's stolen his ex-wife. Uh, he wants the title. I'm going to put you in an arm bar for five minutes. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But then, having said that, um, considering everything else that came after the arm work was almost uniformly terrible, maybe sitting and trying to work a hole for five minutes wasn't so bad after all, because they just screwed up everything. Um, whether it was Raven's fault, Sandman's fault, I want to say it's Sandman's fault, um, it doesn't really matter. They got everything wrong, but Bulldog through the table, looked awful. The... Uh, super kick that was supposed to hit Raven actually missed. Uh, Raven had to sell it. I mean, he completely screws up the moonsault, and uh, I think you've been very kind to Laurie there, Bob. That was definitely a botch when she missed with the cane four times. She was absolutely meant to hit first time. Um, there's no way that uh, Sam would have just stand there uh, staring at Raven uh, Raven and Tyler, whilst Laurie tries to create a, a wind field around him and then hit him for the fifth time. Uh... This was terrible. Too many DDTs, uh, uh, too many botches. Didn't feel like a title match. And I read review. I think it was Meltzer actually said that this match was worse than Hogan Savage last month. It wasn't bloody far off.
2: Ooh.
4: And I had a feeling you might react to that, but uh, for me, it's, uh, it's much of a muchness, let's say that.
2: I mean, the, the, the critique of Hogan Savage was that it was a very bad match in a very, very, very important spot. This was just a very bad match in a yeah, spot. Like you know, still, Sa- still
4: for the title though.
2: Well, the, oh, yeah. Uh, well, the, the I probably expected for six months. I probably expected more of Hogan and Savage. woe well, Betide me. I probably expected <laughs> <laughs> more of Hogan and Savage than I did of these two. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I. I I am just sick of this matchup. And I, you know, this, this was. We talk about. This being ECW's big show of the year, who knows, when the, if the first pay-per-view happens in April, that'll probably overtake it as the, you know, that'll be the, you know, the ninety eight show will be the anniversary of the first pay-per-view, that'll be a significant show too. But, like, that, my, my big frustration with this match is that there's so many feuds that you might say have been going for so long and are really well built up feuds, you. so and you'd probably be right. But so many views I'm watching here and I'm not like, yay, exciting crescendo. I'm like, oh, God, again? Like, that's not... That's not the right... I don't think that's the right reaction. I kind of felt like that going into the main event. Like, Tom and Dream and Primetime lee we been going for so fucking long. Ended already. Like... When you when you start having these feuds, I know ECW is very fluid when it comes to live events, and we cover a lot of their shows, and they they build to bigger shows throughout the year. But they're also essentially just trying to sell tickets to live events, and to an extent, unlike say you know WWF or WCW, they can just plan one big show a month. They need to be a bit more fluid. Fair enough, but. It's, this is your main championship and it's like I, I i've now lost the ability to track whether raven's just injured or shit because i can't tell the difference anymore and Salman is the most over guy in the company but still and we insist on keep doing this match and it's like this was a match that for your yeah what one thing that is going to be the big mystery of ecw when all, everything's said and done or well, certainly of this run, is how can a company that is booked so well book its championships so badly? And, like, you know, the... It's always been booked so bad. Even when Douglas had it in 94, it was kind of a prop and just a, a, a means for for Douglas to face, you know, Tully Blanchard or whoever it was, you know, um, who, guys who'd come in. And it's just like, what are you doing here? What are we trying to achieve? Like, we've got the title back on Sandman. Okay, like, you know, like Sandman and Douglas, which I'm assuming is where they will go next, doesn't exactly feel me with glee And my biggest fear of all this is that I'm assuming this ends with Sandman getting his kid back. It wouldn't make any sense otherwise to me. And, Chris, the fact that Sandman hasn't got his kid back yet suggests we're going to get more of this match. And oh. I, I, I'm not looking forward to that.
3: Yeah, um... Chris? As you said... The fact that we haven't had a proper, definitive end to the story could mean that we are going to get more of it, which really does suck. Um, as you know, as, as a story when it started, it was it was quite interesting. You know, it was well worked. It had the sort of real, sort of real compassion to it because you know the fact that his kid was involved, but it would only really work better if the matches could even sort of semi stand up the fact that sandman is that awful it doesn't matter how good the story is
2: because if the the in-ring action doesn't matter we're not watching a wrestling storyline anymore we're watching a movie right and it's like okay all right but, 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 but how, how do you make any money off this? Other than this just being you know, a bit of light entertainment. The stuff in the ring has got to matter. Whatever you do outside of it, the stuff in the ring has got to matter because you don't, you're not selling, you're not making any money off of this TV. The TV is a drive to sell live events for wrestling matches. If the re- matches don't matter, what are you doing? is
3: Chris. As you say, if, as the fact that these matches are been so awful and seems to be so so pointless I mean it doesn't care how good the storytelling is I mean it's done and you look at the guys on this card you look at the Sabu and Taz story you sort of know those two when they get in a ring together are going to be a good match you look at Candido you look at Douglas you look at these guys that can actually put on decent wrestling matches why aren't these your champion and having the title, which would mean the title would actually mean something. Whereas you can have this, but the fact that it's your championship match, I think makes it even more of one of those of this is awful. It's that sort of point where does the title literally mean that little that Even as a prop in this story, no one actually cares.
2: Apparently not. Rory, any more thoughts?
4: Yeah, um, there there are three major problems here. One, the rather obvious fact that the matches have just been absolute tosh. The second one, uh, Laurie and uh, Tyler, they've almost dropped the story to an extent. I said it was a six-month family feud, but uh, I think I was overstating the case here. It's almost as if Laurie and uh, Tyler are just... Raven's sidekicks now we've almost forgotten the story that uh, hello that's the sandman's son and his ex-wife there <laughs> that they're, they're just people who come to the ring with raven and try to help him win matches and they've dropped what was a, a hot storyline despite my reservations about it when it started and now they're just there and the third problem is if they do drag this out and i fear they might even take this all the way to uh, the first pay-per-view if that is going to be in march or april time it's the fact that the sandman's still the champion so i fear that they might do a thing where Raven gets the title back in a month or a couple of months and then we drag it out again until Sandman eventually wins the title and maybe wins his family back at the March-April pay-per-view as well. So he could be getting this match for about, um four or five more occasions. So, uh, yay.
2: Yeah, and Rory, my biggest concern, concern, observation. Are they doing damage, man? Are they doing damage to the Sandman? Yeah, with this how do you mean uh, that like saman was uh you know, I don't know you know he, he he was on he was in, in the tops you know saman is great i think in really short bursts in that he's quite limited but you build up a guy and you build up a big match and saman you know just comes out swinging a fucking cane and drinking beer i don't know that saman's capable of being in this type of program i feel like the the boogie of sandman is just strip it down to its very core having come out sweet okay, and a cane kicks some match drinks a beer and win a match right that's very very visceral very simple very easy way of doing things i feel like it's if if people start associating sandman less with that side of things because they don't see it often enough, and more with just this terrible standard of match that it actually might do some damage
4: yeah i've got you uh and i think you're right I mean, you said earlier that he's the most over guy in the company. I'm not sure he is. Uh, he got a, a decent reaction throughout this match, but it pales into comparison to some of the ones he's had um, well, since this feud began. And there's also a, a general uh, a general issue here, and it affects ECW as well, when your champion is a babyface. You know, the money's in the chase, as they say. Um now Samus actually got the title. I almost forgot that he was defending the belt in this match. As, as, as bizarre as that sounds, I've, I've got the, I've, I've almost it's locked in my head that Raven should be the champion here, but no, but Samus has got the belt. And when somebody who the crowd love for doing what they're doing uh, month after month, when they suddenly win the title, there's nowhere else you can really go with there. And I think that uh, ECW with the Samus have uh, fallen victim of that malaise as well. And I think he does need to drop the title. Not that I particularly want to see him winning him back, but uh, I think you're right, Bob. Uh, there's the the bloom might be coming off the rose with the Sandman as a, as a character, and uh, if he's losing that connection with the ECW crowd, they've got a problem. Because let's face it, he hasn't got much
2: else. Nope. No, no. If, if 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 he becomes less over, his stocks just plummet very very quickly. let It's time for the main event. Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer versus Shane Douglas and Primetime Brian Lee with Francine. Yikes, Francine isn't wearing much here, I've got in my notes. <laughs> Douglas says he's been hired, he's been Brian Brian Lee to take out Funk tonight. Sorry, I'll tell you Yeah, He's been hired to take out Funk tonight. Here's the bulldozer, Primetime Brian Lee. Started an actual tag match. Funk wants Douglas, but Douglas tags out to Lee. Really serious question. Like, wh- Why do we start with tag team rules at ECW? What the fuck's the point?
4: I have no idea whatsoever. Everybody knows within 90 seconds is going to break down and people are going to pair off and brawl all over the arena. Just drop the pretense and have them do that straight away, man. <laughs> it's,
2: it, it's It's an attention to detail thing, but anyway... Yes. Um, fans chant she's a whore as Dreamer tags himself in Dreamer hits a Russian leg sweep, the match breaks down, of course it does, there it is Dreamer hits a bulldog of sorts, Douglas basically ends up head first uh, on Dreamer's shoulder, all four are in the crowd now, Douglas keeps hitting Funk who seems to be more fired up with every punch he receives, we end up by the exit we then ball Brack towards the ring, Funk seems to go after a photographer a guard ends up in the ring, Funk hits Lee with a chair about three times Dreamer fires Douglas into the guardrail then Lee, they dump the guardrail on Lee and then Douglas onto the guardrail Douglas gets crotched on the guardrail then yanked off of it Dreamer attempts to move off of it but Dreamer uh, Lee drops him on his nuts and Funk DDTs Lee Lee hits a splash onto Dreamer who's lying on the guardrail Douglas hits a release suplex on Dreamer on the guardrail Dreamer and Douglas brawl in uh, in the right Uh, Francine comes off the top with a nice crossbody and takes Dreamer down Dreamer hits a low blow. Francine goes to the top, but Dreamer picks her up and hits an atomic drop. Lee hits a big boot on Dreamer. Funk lobs a chair in the ring. Lee accidentally big boots Douglas. Funk levels Douglas with a clothesline for a two. Lee hits a primetime slam over the top rope on Dreamer. Funk drags the ref out of the ring and throws him into the crowd. Funk fights them off two on one. He and Lee exchange slaps. Douglas hits a pile driver onto Funk. We then get a double spike pile driver by Douglas. Douglas hits a single arm DDT, the one that broke Wolf's neck. Douglas gets funk in a pile position, then Paul drives in through a table on the outside. Lee hits tombstone on Dreamer, goes for a pin but the ref has to come to and Dreamer kicks out. Douglas puts in a transmission type hold. Francine gets in Dreamer's face. Here's Bueller. She nails Francine with a baking tray and the two fight. Douglas goes after Bueller and then hits a the belly to belly on her. Douglas hits a crossbody into the crowd onto Dreamer, he and Lee and Dreamer are in the fans, Funk comes to, climbs to the top, and yes, Terry Funk hits a moonsault into the crowd, that man is far too old to be doing that, but still, what a spot, Funk hits Douglas with the knee, repeatedly with a chair, uh, in the knee, or so repeatedly with the chair. Funk goes for a spinning toe hole, but Lee knocks him down. Dream, Dreamer nails Lee with a TV camera. Funk hits a DDT onto Lee and wins the match. After the match, Douglas hits a DDT on Funk, then lays out the ref. The fans chant for Pitbulls, and out comes Pitbull number two. He lays it to the both of a massive press slam on <laughs> Douglas. Lee clothesline Pitbull two. Pitbull two hits a double clothesline and lays them out. As we go. Off or fades to black. Chris, what do you think?
3: It was as you'd expect with the people that are in this—a walking brawl. Um, it was good, you know. Funk is, as you say, far too old to do some of the shit that he's doing. Moon into the crowd is not what someone like mid-fifties should ever be doing. Um, Brian Lee, you know, you can only get so much out of him, and what he does, he does it well. it was one of those, it was a good match. Whether it suffered, going back to whether it suffered because of the Sabu and Taz thing, I think it did while watching it when I was watching it because I was like that should have been the lasting image and this is something, this isn't something we've never seen before. This is a very sort of standard thing for ECW. It didn't feel special i mean i think that's it suffered a little bit because of that but you know for who you had in the ring and what you got it was much better than the dross we had before it
4: rory uh this dreamer lee feud has been absolute death in my opinion it's been going on now for about half a year and i'm still not even really sure what their problem is with each other i think the feud is exists purely on the Pure improviso that Lee put Dreamer through a couple of tables once. Well, okay. Is there anybody who hasn't put Tommy Dreamer through a table in their time, you know? And they somehow managed to drag this out for a, such a long time, um, just while they tried, tried to give Dreamer something to do until he eventually, I'd imagine, goes back to Raven, whenever that's going to be now. Uh, There's definitely not been a main event level feud. It was certainly not worthy main eventing over the title match, whatever what I thought about that. And this was long a long match it felt like a long match purely because it needed to be because it was the main event i never got the sense that there was any anything really riding on it i never got the sense that the four of them in kayfabe terms necessarily had the abilities that this match would last uh i think it was about 20 25 minutes and it felt like a real stretch of credibility terry funk is a word has yet to be inscribed invented to describe terry funk but he is one A moonsault at the age of two hundred and fifty. I mean, man, hats off. You're insane, but hats off. And that's a spot I think we're going to see a lot more of in the future, and rightly so. Uh, Is it? I hope not. I think we're going to see it a lot. I think. Well, no, that particular spot. I hope we're not going to see Terry Funk himself repeat it. But
2: uh, oh, other people doing moonsaults into the crowd. I see. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. I I mean,
4: I mean that. I mean uh, the 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 camera shot of that particular move being shown in video packages and that
2: kind of thing i'm with you yes
4: let yes. say terry funk being terry funk he's probably doing it again right now in a gym somewhere um <laughs> anyway the finish I, I i can't explain the finish i don't know what a video camera has got to do with anything uh we thought we might as well end here as anywhere we've got a nice spot with a, a spot and pop with people coming out the crowd responded to that which was good but this didn't feel like a main event match Everybody, Terry side, seemed to be going at it at about 70-75%. The crowd, again, didn't really care. And this was, especially for a main event of what is currently ECW's flagship show, this was a damp squib.
2: Yeah, um, the the show had gone quite long to this point, and this was too long a main event. Um, I don't, you know... It, it, as i always say different in the arena to watch it on tv or watching the video i don't get the feeling the crowd were massively up for this this was terry funk's return it didn't feel like a a massively big deal the match didn't feel like a massively important match and you know this won't air on tv it's a live event etc cetera, etc cetera, but this is one of your big shows of the year if not the biggest show of the year um just a random tag match without really any consequences. Like, is now that prime time Brian Lee has lost, is his feud with Dreamer over? Because if the answer's no, then what was the point? Um, you know, the only... We talk about all of these feuds that have come into this show, to make a more general point now. The only one that still feels like it's got legs is Douglas and, and Pitbulls. Has been going on forever and it just about works, mainly because it's just kind of this sort of innocent feud in the sense that they just don't like each other and just beat the fuck out of each other, come what might. Fair enough. But D- Dreamer and Brian Lee doesn't feel like a fresh feud. Raven and Sama doesn't feel like a fresh feud. Um and Sabu and Taz, they're just about getting away with. It just it just doesn't quite fit for me. This match I don't think was very good. Um, Save save some nostalgia where Funk's concerned with him doing some of his greatest hit stuff and doing some legitimately dangerous things. It just... I I kind of would have... you know, If if the show had finished with with Raven and Sandman, I don't necessarily think anyone would have gone, well, this show was one match short. Um, And I don't think watching this, they went, yeah, this was a main event worthy of the name. I don't know. Chris, any more thoughts when we hit our end of, end of show?
3: No, I think, I think it's all pretty much done. You know, we've covered the fact it was a damp squib.
2: Rory? Uh,
4: absolutely. Just, just, just way too long. People didn't care. I didn't care. I have no idea where they go with any of these guys now, really. And they pose themselves a lot more questions that I don't think they have the answers to. And that's a problem.
2: No, oh, and I think there's questions to be said made about the match order on this show as well. As I said at the top, a very front-loaded show, um, and you know you could—I I feel like you could have made a much better show. You just rearranged it all, put it all in slightly different order. Put the Scorpio stuff on earlier, made the main event a bit less short. Not have done the three-way dance, stuck the BWO stuff kind of in the final third of the show rather than opening up as a bit of kind of light relief and a good match in the m- amongst all of that. Um, and then probably I would have ended with the Sabu and Taz stuff. Uh, Rory, your overall thoughts on this show and a score any out of 10?
4: Okay, for all of that, and I think there's massive criticisms, I did still enjoy this show. Uh, I still think that they were right to actually make this show three hours because this is, at least their current standing until pay-per-view comes along, I think November to remember is nominally their biggest event of the year. And there was a lot in, there in which they tried to actually make it so. Uh, the uh, Sabu Taz stuff, especially. And there was some good wrestling on this show as well. The opener was good. Candido Wiprek was good. There were good bits and pieces elsewhere. If you pick things out of the first tag team match, there's a, a lot to sit back and re- rewind the tape on there too. But there were just too many self-inflicted mistakes. So they posed themselves far too many questions that I don't think they can answer. There were some poor performances, some really questionable booking decisions. So I've got to go low on this one, I'm afraid. No, just think about it now though, is there just enough watchable wrestling on this show to put it smack bang in the middle at five? But with it being an ECW show, your mileage may vary.
3: Chris? Well, it's, it is an ECW show and it has all the, as Rory said, all the ECW boxes. We've got some really, really good wrestling. We've got brawls, you know, and As I said, if we could have, you know, maybe not had the last two matches, it definitely would have been a higher score. Um, There is stuff on this that you do have to go out of your way and see. The RVD sabu eliminators tag match is something you have to see. I think the Candido and Ripwreck match is something that has to be seen because you see how good both of those guys are, you know. you can definitely do without not seeing Sandman and <laughs> Raven. I think we can all go without seeing that ever again. So, all in all, you know, it is an ECW show. Is it as good as the last three no- November To Remembers that have been, you know, the big standout shows of each of the years, including last year's one that won show of the year? No. I
2: it's nowhere near as good as that show.
3: <laughs> you know, it is nowhere be seen by that, so I'm going to give it a six and
2: a half. Uh, yeah, uh, we, we, we said most of the things that need to be said. Um, I think a lot of people might look at ECW in this kind of year and go, wow, what a, what a great set of views they had going on. And for a time, it felt like that, but they kind of over-egged themselves probably August, September time, when like something should have stopped. Like the, you know, the, This is probably the big problem with ECW. The shows are so fluid that nothing ever ends and one of their biggest strengths is sort of kind of manifesting itself into a weakness of theirs one of their biggest strengths is how fluid they can be in terms of one they've got to be because of their show structure but also in terms of they generally flow from one program to another quite well um but equally it feels like they got to August and went well we've got a big show in November let's keep these feuds going and it kind of feels like that's backfired. um and this show was a this show was an illustration of that. The action was often good, but rarely any better. They made too many mistakes, too many fairly basic mistakes. We give ECW a lot of credit for the Taz thing up top. They probably they probably were a losing end by the end of the show in terms of the amount of things they got wrong. Um, I'll give it a four and a half out of ten.
0: Okay, now it's time for my side of the story. February 4th, 95, double tables Taz and Sabu win the tag team titles I carry Sabu to the victory Sabu gets another belt Everybody knows the guy, knows he's a mark for the belts Feed his ego, could post more after his magazines Whoop-de-doo, who cares Couple of months later, April 8th, three-way dance At the time, biggest match in ECW history Taz and Sabu both get phone calls from a Japanese wrestling promotion. I, of course, turned down the date. I'm already committed to ECW. Sabu, on the other hand, he calls me up. He tells me he's going. It's great money, he says. Okay, what about your word? I guess his word don't mean nothing. Well, that's fine. I go to Paulie and I tell Paulie, either you fire him or I'm gone. I quit. April 8th, Paulie gets in the ring. Publicly fires Sabu. I'm in the ring to make sure Paulie doesn't swerve me. Fine. Here comes the summertime. I break my neck. Why? Because I don't have a partner watching my back. The company panics. ECW panics. Paulie don't know what to do. So what does he do? He listens to the fans. They're calling back Sabu. Let's bring Sabu back. Yeah, like the fans know anything about this business. <laughs> They bring back Sabu It's a slap in my face Slap in my face So for one year I call out Sabu For one year he doesn't answer my call Because of fear He fears me And so he should So everybody says to me at the November, this last November to remember Hey Taz, would you come out during the match three-way dance for, and almost choke out (laughs) Sabu Why? Why? Sabu all you had to do was come to me All you had to do was come to me After you went to that draw with the Eliminators And say, Taz, I'm fixing to go into this three-way dance You and I, let's do it together Let's let bygones be bygones But no, you didn't do that What about me, Sabu? What about Taz? Instead, you stay with Van Dam Because you have a, your word with Van Dam. Your word with Van Dam. Van Dam, you saved Sabu The kicking of a lifetime
2: We move on to the final two TVs of the month. Nothing massive to report other than the promo slash promos that I will have played for you. We start on the 19th of November with an impossibly long stills montage from November to remember. It's about five minutes long. Stars calls the Van Damme-Sabu Eliminators tag match as perhaps the greatest they have ever seen. Just some stretch. (laughs) Not even sure it's the greatest Sabu Van Damme match they've been in. (laughs) uh, Uh, we see Towers opening pro from November to remember then we get the BWO introduction and the clips of the match between Richards and Jericho we then get the Devon versus Bova match we see Gartner on a stretch backstage who's still directing acts Rotten to cut his promo for him while he passes out, which was really good. And after that we see the three way dance tag match. This th- this show, it should be said, we might see a bit more in um, in December, but unlike a lot of ECW live events where we cover where we go, Well, we're gonna review it the live event format, but you've seen ninety percent of it on the TVs that follow, you don't get that here. I get the feeling they're trying to sell a lot of tapes of this. Well the fact so, that
3: they keep showing that in case you missed it, this is what you missed snippets of yeah. the RVD, Sabu, Eliminators match. I mean, they are definitely trying to get some home video sales...
2: Um, we start with oh, November 26 with Taz's side of Sabu's story. He says he's carried that he carried them to the tag titles in early 95. He then goes on to mention April of last year where Sabu attempted attended a date in Japan that he had turned down, and that Sabu was fired for not honoring his commitment to ECW. He says it was a slap in the face when Sabu was brought back, and he had to go and get Sabu because Sabu wouldn't come and get him. We then see Rotten versus Myers from November to remember. The following announcement has been paid for by the Blue World Order. We got a black and white prior from Richards, Nova and Meadie. Meadie says he's oozing blue cheese mo. We then finish with all of the Two Cold Scorpio stuff from November to remember. <laughs> and welcome to November 2016. Um, decision that I think we made at the end of last month was that it, we couldn't do the mass transit story justice uh without in 20 years ago mode because there's there's too many things that follow and uh, i think i said to rory before we came on air this would make more sense if we did it in say february 97 because we'd have the benefit of a couple more months context and all of that so we're out of 20 years ago mode to discuss what has been known become known as the mass transit incident um Chris, do you want to kick us off with a summation best you can of what's happened? I can always patch in anything I think you've missed, but I think you've got most of those notes.
3: Yeah, right. So, on November 23rd, 1996, in Raviv, Massachusetts, there was a tag team match that was booked. that was meant to be Axel Rotten and Devon going against the gangsters. Um, For some reason, Axel didn't make the show. So, a lad called Eric Koulas who went under the ring name of mass transit, got put into the match, um, unbeknownst to Heyman or anyone else, he was a 17 year old kid. Um, he'd come in, told Heyman that he was 23, said he'd trained, um, with killer Kowalski and had the experience. So clearly, you know, one of these local guy got the job. We need, we need, we need a body. Um, <clears throat> He then, in the match with the gangsters, has the retarded idea of asking New Jack to get him to have colour.
2: I think he, he asked him before the match, didn't he? I don't think. I don't think, I yeah. think that, yeah. I think that was made up on the fly. I think beforehand he thought, uh, yeah, "I want to get bloodied," but I, th- the story was he didn't want to do it.
3: Definitely before the match.
2: Yeah. Um, and he
3: says that he doesn't know how.
2: Uh, uh, and the bit, <laughs> well, this comes to me. One like, fucking asking New Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, carry on, Chris.
3: So, in the match, New Jack, with depending on who's you believe, either has a surgical scalpel on a bit of wood, as what New Jack calls it, or just a big fucking knife, um, a Stanley knife type blade. If you believe some other people, um, just cuts into the lad's head. A, about, they sort of roughly say it's about a nine inch gash across the (sighs) top of the head. And as you can imagine, with that it pisses blood. Um, He actually did catch one of uh, the arteries so thus loads and loads of blood came out. Um, The match was booked as a squash so obviously gangsters came out, do their thing, he cuts him, loads of blood. And the thing was, during this, the parents of Culus are there shouting, He's seventeen, ring the damn fucking bell, he's seventeen. Um uh, this match obviously will never be seen on T V. Um there was camcorder footage taken which was used in the subsequent court case. Um
2: well, I do They weren't taping for TV. I don't think were they. This was, no,
3: this was live it was a live event. But I think it is ECW sort of thing to take to film lots of these home events, basically, so they can use it as filler stuff for TV if needs be. Um, obviously, so there's there's the main gist of the incident. Obviously, there is lots of other bits to go into in a bit, but obviously from the reports of what happened, it's, it's one of those of how has this been able to happen? How has this kid blagged his way onto a wrestling show and why is he so stupid that he wants to go, while in a match with New Jack, get colour?
2: Yeah, um and then so that was kind of the story at the time. I can I'll, I'll fill in what happens after and I think Chris has got the notes so he can correct me if I've got any of this wrong. But as far as I'm aware, they packed up all the blood best they can and the stories differ as to what condition Coolus was in when he left in the ambulance. Um but apparently Chris was he actually sort of like, you know, did I pass my test or something like that? Was that was that part of what he was That's... saying when...
3: There was talk that that's what Devon heard him say as he was going out, but it's because there's so many bits of hearsay. There's not a sort of definitive on what was said as he was on his way out.
2: So that happens, and then around a year or so later, Eric Koulos's dad works out that he can probably start taking some legal action on this. So that all ends up in a court case, I think at the end of 1998. Before. Uh, go on.
3: Before that, uh, because of this incident,
2: well, I was come to that. TV... I was, was going to come to that in a minute. I was just going to finish this bit, and then we'll, ah. we'll look at the... Yeah, no, that's cool. ...the implications of what that had for, for ECW in the coming months. But that manifested itself into a court case, I think at the end of 1998, early 99, um, of which, as New Jack has told, and if you want to go on YouTube, you can find, let's say, some very forthright... <laughs> about... Uh, his side of his side of that story, and just go and seek those out. It's um, yes, those, those happen. Um, but New Jack says he was offered a plea deal, as in we are going to try and send you down for five years. We'll give you one. I think was it aggravated assault? Was it a- attempted murder? Was that what they were trying they, to get him with Chris?
3: They were trying to get him for attempted murder, which would have been life. But he was offered if he takes a plea, he could do just five years. Right, that's for right. attempted murder. Uh,
2: And then, but basically as it kind of came down in the court case, there were a lot of people testifying on ECW's side about that Coolis was the one who asked for it, that he was, he wasn't, you know, when he left, when he left the building, he wasn't like in life threatening condition. He was in a, did I? past my initiation type mood that kind of thing and a lot of other things that happen what was agreed what was not and stuff to do with you know what happens inside a wrestling ring is part of an entertainment show rather than an incident you start you start charging new jack with attempted murder for something that happens inside a ring can you charge someone for you're doing serious injury for something inside a ring and you know you, we've all we've always had this thing or are always going to have this thing but judges generally don't understand pro wrestling i think they're getting better with it but we are still in a position certainly at this kind of time where judges don't really know the difference between what's real and what's fake and all that anyway new jack was eventually acquitted and all of that happened and a few years later i think kulas died um due to problems with obesity i think so the story goes uh nothing related to the incident um but, yeah, um, Rory, we'll, we'll go on to the vacation for ECW in a bit. Just, just fill us in your thoughts on, 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 on this so far. This is
4: just one of the uh, – there have been many since as well, but this is, without a doubt, one of the blackest days in, uh, in professional wrestling history. Uh, even now knowing –
2: well, 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 No, it was. It was. No, it was. I
4: mean, let, let, me, let me tell you why. Because this was – based on what we know now about what happened, this was ECW – with Paul Heyman and Paul Heyman was told what he was told I don't necessarily blame Heyman but this is a situation where a 17 year old kid with apparently no more than 10 matches experience under his belt is able to convince people that he's not 17 he's 23 that he's been professionally trained by Killer Kowalski and he is able to get in the, get, get in the ring and very few checks and balances are done apparently he according to Paul Heyman in the uh, the, 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 the uh, Rise of all w documentary falsified his um falsified his documentation okay the reason this is so black is because this should never have been allowed to happen
2: what, what is this story any different if he's 18
4: no i don't think i don't think his age is necessarily
2: Like i don't think his age a major major I, anyway.
4: like yeah no, I, but, I, but he still lied about it though he still presented he was 23 I.e. old enough to, to have been in uh, a, a lot of matches and but who's that was trained. That's on him. Who's on, that's probably Kulas' yeah, who, Q- fault. And very possibly Kulas' yeah. dad's fault as well. I say there are many, there are many, many places you could point the blame here. I don't think anybody comes out of this, uh, completely blameless, just to say the very least. But the fact that this was allowed to happen and as much as you can correctly, in my opinion, criticise Kulas and Kulas's family, <sighs>
2: Just I, just I just think, I just watch think everyone, the footage. everyone, yeah, we, I agree, but everyone just comes out of this story terribly. New Jack oh, sounds oh, New Jack sound. Sound like a cunt, let's be honest, yep. right? And, you, you, and, and to oh, an absolutely. extent, and, and ta- time will change this kind of thing, but New Jack has, you know, you watch some of his shoot promos, in the years following, a new Jack comes across like a, just a massive cunt about the whole situation. But I get the feeling, to a certain degree, he's developed that kind of thing just because of what followed with the court case and stuff. He, you know, I, I think it was more it manifests itself as he thought he didn't do any wrong, and then they had the gall to try and you know, send him to prison, and he ended up kind of responding to that by coming kind with of this very very defensive attitude to the whole thing. Um, it's an I'll see the footage. It's a Ugly ass cut. Let's be honest. That was a proper, you know. He uh... out, and
4: out ha- He hacks into his head. He hacks. into... Yeah. It's it's not a blade job as we understand it. So I'm gonna uh, uh, give the suggestion that he, he his head was cut on well, bashing into a turnbuckle and hit with a chair. He hacks into his head.
2: I I just don't. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't want to say something. To I should case never case. Have been allowed. New Jack or no New Jack? No, but I, I, yeah, I, all right. I, I just don't think anyone comes out of this. You know, I I don't feel that sorry for Coolus. In this no,
4: I agree, no, I, I listen. I I agree with you. He came across by the sound of it backstage. He came across as a bit of a Bertie Bigger You lie about your age.
2: On. You asked to be bladed by New Jack. Like, come on come on like you know you, you don't have to watch that much ecw to know that this isn't all a gimmick right and then you know it went a bit wrong but like let's say for uh, i think he was okay once, like you know once they you know, stitched him up i think after a few weeks he was all right long story yes
4: short, this, this is true this is true yeah, what it yeah. came to represent though I, I think was horrible and i still think it is horrible this is just the I professional mean, actually, look- wrestling business, pe- people involved in the professional wrestling business, people who should know better, q or, or not, going too far.
3: But at the same point, you say that, how you even look at stuff today, look at CZW, look at no, thanks. things like that, These there's still people that are doing shit that, that, doesn't it, that doesn't make agreed it right. With, I'm not saying it does make it right, but there's still people that are doing shit with light tubes or stuff like that. You know, they took the extreme even further than what ECW did. I've seen a match where Dean Ambrose, like in his CW, CCW stuff, has got a fucking angle grinder against someone's head. Jesus. This is the thing. This isn't as bad as it gets. I've, there is shit that gets worse than this. The the big problem with this is is that a kid somehow has managed to blag his way in, which, if you think wrestling at this point is let's, still... Let's
2: call it somehow. I mean, it's fairly obvious what happened. Well, it's not like, it's not like it, you know, it's not like wrestling companies, unless they're a proper nationwide international company, do a massive amount of checks. But no, but this thing, it, they're well, still... Says I'm 22, and he's got paperwork to back that up. You know, I, 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 I think the age thing here is overblown as part of this story. I don't think the age... I, I think if he's 18. I don't think this is this... Should be any less of a story. It probably would be, but I don't think the fact he's seventeen is a big deal
3: here. I mean, I mean like, no, the fact that he's seventeen is why there's a court case because he's a minor. Well, yes.
2: well, okay, all
3: right, all right. Yeah, I'll give you that. So the, so the age is the important thing here because, as think you say, it's it my point. If it wasn't for his age, this would just been local jobber gets fucked up. If he's twenty-two, it's local jobber gets fucked up. Blagged his way onto a show. Shouldn't have been there. Boo-boo. But that,
2: that's why I don't think the story is that it that like you know. I I don't think the age. I, I know you're right. Right. It became a court case in, in a large part because of his age. But I don't think like if he's eighteen. This is like for me, the story isn't much different, and yet the implications of it probably are. So I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't important. I just don't think it should be. I don't think the fact he was 17 should be this massive factor in this story. And when you remove the age part from it, the objection just becomes: well, he asked him to be cut, and New Jack went a bit too far. Like in in the grander scheme of things, like that's right, Roy. Roy yeah, um,
4: I was just thinking about this now as uh, as you guys are talking. Um. Do you think this is? I mean, my answer to this question is actually yes. Do you think this is worse than the Rockers Charles Austin incident from 1990, in which uh, for those who might not know, Charles Austin was a was a local jobber who was uh, was injured, paralysed by an Aaron uh, Marty Janetti rocker dropper, and he was eventually, uh, I think, it was settled. I think the court case for uh, 26.7 million dollars is is the figure that's in my head.
2: Yeah, uh, that was that, that was they totally uh, settled on, then. I think it, it got downgraded afterwards. That, that's that's right. Yeah,
4: and that yeah. was a that was a. Uh, Again, I've seen the footage of that and uh, it's, uh, again, it's horrible stuff. Uh, that, that was a pure accident, a horrible, horrible accident, but you can almost file that under in the, uh, heavily underline it, of course, as um, almost that these things happen in the wrestling ring. Again, my, my major concern with this, and I'll say this uh, until I'm blue in the face, is that everything that happened here, this is why everybody's to blame, and this is why I think it's still such a dark moment, because nobody, nobody pulled anybody up and said, what the fuck are you doing here? Uh, everybody is to blame. And it was something that didn't need to happen in any way, shape, or form. And that's, that's why I still find out... when I first heard about this, what, 2001, 2002? And that's why I, it's still... For, for me personally, it's still such a, a horrible, horrible moment, even though in the medium term, uh it didn't necessarily do Kulass uh, any particular lasting damage. Okay, he, he did lose his life, sadly, a few years later for uh, for other reasons. But it's the fact that... This was people in the wrestling business going too far, people who were tra- people who know what professional wrestling is, and not being responsible enough to work within their own parameters of professional wrestling and I just want to say about um, you brought up uh czW Chris I, mean, I think that is actually a very good example, but that shows that people didn 't learn the lessons from this and other things like this i 'm sure even just a couple of months down the line when we carry on doing ECw shows we 're going to see all sorts of utterly insane shit t- uh, taking place again it 's uh, in I the say, short, we, medium, and long term. It I, I know. You know people you, didn't learn from this.
2: T- t- take take New Jack's shooting views with a grain of salt, but Isn't yes. there a scaffold match down the road where New Jack said, I, I, Am I imagining this? Where he said, I threw him off the scaffold and I didn't care whether he lived or died? That Did that happen? Oh, was, yeah. is, uh, is
4: that is that coming up? And yes, yes. If that's still coming up, then yes, that's, that's it. That's
3: when, yeah. when they lobbed him off the balcony. That's right. Where, you know, where the, around the edge of the arena, there's yeah. a little balcony and he locked him off there.
4: And even that one's still to so, yeah, video still packages tough. to this day. People still are, are making play out of that. That, that. that spot, if it's the one I'm thinking of, still gets shown to this day when people selling up, hey, look how mad and crazy ECW was. Just people just don't learn.
2: Uh, but the, 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 slightly odd point I was getting at was that I get the feeling there's worse for New Jack to come, which probably isn't that much, of, that constructive in this kind of discussion. But yeah, it's, it's, Rory, let's, let's, let's switch focus slightly because we've got quite long here. We, we could keep going round and round in circles. The WWE treatment of this incident, now I don't know if Chris has gone back and watched it. I certainly haven't. But this week you went back and watched the rise and fall of ECW Doc. And this incident from what, cause I, I actually don't record it being mentioned at all on the documentary. And uh, from, from, from what you recall from what you saw, it, it wasn't very much.
4: No, uh, a boring technical point here. I was just going to watch that because I've got, I've got the DVD, but that uh, the documentary is on the network now. So I was just fast forwarding to find a, uh, find the piece uh, where they talk about uh, this incident. I fast forwarded, I rewind. Re- I couldn't actually find it. So I saw it. I'll just watch the entire documentary again from, from, from the start. And it is a, Final, it's a fantastic documentary if you haven't seen it. But it eventually comes in about 58 minutes, and the entire length is probably just over a minute. Uh, you see a con- uh, a contrite Paul Heyman who briefly talks about QLUS lying about his age and the falsifying his documentation. We then get a brief shot uh interview with Devon with a stock footage of New Jack playing behind him, of uh, saying, basically saying uh, he was... There's a mass transit with a guy, I don't like a bus driver. Uh, New Jack, I think, I think an exact quote from this is, New Jack beat him up pretty good, man. And, uh, there were lawsuits and stuff. And that's all we hear about that. We then get a brief shot from Heyman saying that this eventually on Christmas Eve 1996 meant that their pay-per-view was cut. And that is all we get. Immediately before that on the documentary, we get the, uh, the Sandman crucifixion incident of which footage is actually shown. Remember, I didn't actually make TV at the time in October '96, and they talk about that at length. Where they thought they were, uh, whether they crossed line, how offensive they thought it was, uh, Kurt Angle's reaction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, I still think, therefore, that the mass transit incident, which I think a lot of people might well have sat down and watched a documentary to try and learn a lot about, is so glossed over. Indicates to me that certainly when this documentary was made back in 2004, that for a lot of people still involved, who were involved in ECW. It's still a very, very somber, very, very somber subject. It so seems you want to me, information... Roy, yep, go ahead. It go seems ahead, to
2: mate. me like you're trying to accuse the WWE of revising history.
4: <laughs> oh, Heaven oh, forbid.
2: I mean, I, I I would think very, very long and very, very hard before you try to start implying that WWE... What? Might... I mean,
4: absolutely, Bob. I mean, yes, absolutely. You're quite right. What other might examples just... are there of that ever happening?
2: Might yeah. just start, you know, tweaking history just to you know suit their own argument. Get away.
3: Get away. So, yeah. you were just saying, obviously, about the WWE uh, documentary. A better one to watch, actually, that covers Mass Transit a bit more, is the Forever Hardcore one, which was done by Paul Rash... Because um, that gets a lot of people sort of going on about what happened backstage more and a lot more into the actual what was going on at the time more than it being sort of just a as as the WF one was like it happened he was naughty he lied and had done with it whereas this has I mean it's got uh, Kid Cash or as as we know him at the moment as you know Scott Devon Jericho. Goliath, Benoit, <laughs> Guerrero, Malenko, Flash. Um, you know, he's on there. You get a bit from obviously New Jacks there pleading the New Jack story as only he will. Um so obviously that sort of gives it a bit more detail in it. So obviously if you haven't seen that, it's definitely worth a watch and you can probably I know I know most of it's on YouTube, so you can sort of watch it on there if you can't get a copy from anywhere else but that covers it in a lot more because i think i mean because it doesn't have the company behind it where obviously wwe
2: well it's also more the point and one of, one of the, the big criticisms with well one of the big criticisms of the rise and fall of ECW documentary is it's a very romantic look at ECW. Um it's like, yeah, we'll show you the negatives that we're happy to show you, but other than that, you know, we'll we'll tell this story of this big happy family and we'll laugh and joke at all the illegal shit they because it's it's not worth and, and also and the, the bigger point that I was making was the, the Rise and Fall of ECW documentary is very much a documentary of its time, as in uh, around that time, and it's changed since, but around that time, WWE were making a lot of these documentaries based around the stories of guys that were on WWE, or inside the WWE's inner circle, Yes, so very, very conspicuous from his absence from that documentary is Shane Douglas. And Shane Douglas, you'll know, watching the documentary this week, is a very minor part of that documentary, which is a load of shit. But because he's uh, because he is a minor part, because he wasn't in the Inner Circle, they make him a minor part of the documentary because they'd rather tell a story of Mikey Whipwreck, because Mikey Whipwreck was on, inside the Inner Circle. So, someday I'm going to sit down on this podcast, when the ECW stuff's done, and we're going to rip that documentary apart and, and try and fill in some of the gaps and and, and the wise and what force. And the other big name conspicuous from his absence for the documentary is Terry Funk. Um and and, and trying to sell the, the nineteen ninety three to nineteen ninety six ECW, which is probably the first hour of that documentary, without Shane Douglas and Terry Funk, is basically like trying to tell that documentary without the two two of the most important guys around. And they could have still told the story without them but they just decided for the sake of the documentary we don't have Shane Douglas and we're just not going to talk about Shane Douglas that much As so obviously they mentioned the bit in August 94 with the belt and then they move on they don't mention any of the other stuff um, and you know doc- to an extent a documentary you've got, you've got to cut some stuff but they've got some stuff that wrong. Anyway the other part of this discussion is what's to follow now we're going to discuss this in, in 20 years ago mode in the coming months but it's an important thing to mention now at least at least in short because I know we're running on long, long time, but Chris, the, the second half of this story is what the implications of this incident within the, the, the six months that follow, which is amongst other things that and uh, Bruce Mitchell gets involved, the terrorist torch gets involved. We're going to find out all of that happens, but the pay for you company start to get wind of this incident and they start going, Ah, actually, this isn't like the WF and WCW, we're not going to run this anymore. Um, so, Chris, you're going to talk to us about that and what we can kind of expect going forward.
3: So, um, as Rory said on Christmas Eve, uh, Request TB, who, from what I could found out uh, at the time, like the third biggest pay-per-view provider in the States, um, Paul said they were not going to cover barely legal at all. Um, Heyman begged and pleaded to to try and get them to change their mind. But they were having none of it. And it also meant that the uh, original date for the pay-per-view was put back as well. Um, As we mentioned in the news part of this, they were sort of trying to aim for March, but then it gets put back to April because of this. Um, Then on top of that, uh, the Inside Edition, um, which is a news, a topical news show of the time in the States, um, actually had an interview with Culus and his family. Um, which basically showed the footage on national TV of him getting cut by New Jack. Um, they sort of tried to get ECW on to to sort of retort to it but they weren't having none of it. So instead, because E C W didn't want to sort of go on and play ball, they basically vilified the company and made them look out as if they were the worst thing in the world. And then so that then led into the lawsuit, and then everything that obviously followed.
2: Rory, thoughts or any thoughts on this story?
3: Yes, um,
4: I would. I, would, I, would, I, would, I would just I want to talk about the cable company. Actually, um, did they really think? Uh, so, what was, the name? was it? Request TV was that the name of the yeah. company? Sorry, Chris. Request. Okay, did they really think when um, this guy, uh, this uh, this brush New Yorker. By the name of Paul Homan, who runs a company called Extreme Championship Wrestling. Okay. Did they really think they were going to be getting some sort of WWF stroke WCW knockoff here? Now, I'm not saying they weren't right to pull the paper after what happened, but what well, the point I'm trying to make is it ties into a, it ties into a, a, a greater tale, which I still think is the case to this day, that uh, mainstream outlets just don't understand professional wrestling. Mainstream broadcasting outlets don't understand professional wrestling. So I'm going to defend ECW here to a uh, to a small point and say that maybe, maybe Request TV completely got the wrong. It sounds like they did. Because uh, Chris, like you mentioned, actually in the news, that um, Request TV, they actually wanted to run the pay-per-view live, didn't they? It yeah. was Paul Heyman, in fairness to him, who wanted to try and run it on a, on a, on a tape delay to perhaps, maybe, I don't know, I might be,
2: no, I think, I, think, I, think you're, I think you're giving far too much credit for that. Maybe I am. Maybe
4: I am giving a bit too much credit. There are a lot look of what we just it. Alive it wasn't anything to do yeah. with that. As much as I dislike a lot, a lot of what Paul Heyman has actually done, I do, I do have, uh, I still have an inordinate amount of respect for the a Paul Heyman guy, you might call me, if you like to call it a phrase. So maybe I'm giving a bit too much credit there. But yes, um, surely uh, the, uh, the company would have known what they were getting in for. I mean, as, as we now know, they eventually did relent and, ECW managed to stay on pay-per-view just about uh, until the end of their existence but um it just ties into a major point that um not enough people even on the most basic terms really understand what professional wrestling is and uh i think especially after an instance admittedly terrible as this i think to some degree even now here in 2016 and the pay-per-view itself doesn't really exist in tv companies perhaps usa network and pop uh accepted they're not really relevant anymore I still think, uh, as far as the mainstream is concerned, professional wrestling is always going to be banging its head against
2: the wall. And, And probably not Without justification. Sometimes indeed, it's, indeed.
4: It's there's there's a, there's a case to be made that uh, perhaps it's understandable, but uh, every,
2: every, it every step pro wrestling takes forward, it often seems to take two steps back. Without a doubt. Uh, and I will finish this by kind of saying what I said a lot on on the UFC shows because we did those out 20 years ago, mode. ECW spends the next six months, 12 months fighting the idea that it's not UFC, and UFC spends the next how many how long fighting the idea it's not wrestling. It's a, it's a weird, <laughs> it's, it's this weird, it's this weird juxtaposition and everyone thought, well ECW can't be wrestling and it probably doesn't help that ECW actually did say, oh this is a shoot fight yeah, thanks <laughs> um, and then USC has to go around trying to tell, convince people it's not wrestling because that's got its own negative stigma. Anyway, fun to have a little bit of chat outside of 20 years ago that will wrap up this show. Firstly thank you to Rory McNamara.
4: My pleasure guys uh, Rory, you can be found on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at RorsDM, that's R-O-R-S-D-M
2: Excellent. And as always, to our man in the ECW chair, Chris Lacey. Chris. You're
3: welcome, Bob. As always, follow us on Super Brawls, where at the minute we are in the midst of the summer of 1992 and a very strange time when WCW are now trying to get back in bed with the NWA and bringing out NWA world titles. And also, after last month, we've uh, just had Doc and Gordy in uh, WCW. And so, yeah, you can find that on the iTunes. Just search Super Brawls. We're on Twitter and Facebook, Super Brawls. And if you want me ranting about stuff, find me at Lacey... 555666.
2: 5, 6, 6. On the Twitter, there we go. Yes, four shows for you this month. Uh, volume one, WWF, looking at Survivor Series, the Austin Pillman, Gun Angle, and of course Austin and Bret Hart at the Pay For You, and all the stuff besides. Volume two, looking at WCW, we haven't taken that yet, we'll take that next weekend, but expect quite a long rant from me as Eric Bischoff joins the NWO, and just me banging my head against the wall. Um, <sighs> uh. Uh, volume 4, boxing, that's going to be fun, I've no idea if that show's going to be any good but we have a copy of Mike Tyson and Miranda Holyfield and we are going to talk about it we'll see how that whole thing goes anyway you can find me on Twitter at Boy Bamba. you can find the podcast on Twitter at Wrestling20RS I've forgotten the Patreon plug again at the opening of the show I need to work out what I'm going to do with CCW wise uh, but we are on Patreon if you'd like to donate uh, to us as a thank you or to get early access to shows like this, we generally do take PCW shows early in the month, it's actually only in November the the teeth at the moment um, if you'd like to get access to shows like this you can by donating five bucks a month to us on patreon uh, get access to that or if you just want to say thank you to us for enlightening your lives or you know just remind you of you know shit it all was uh, you can find out all about that patreon.com forward slash resting 20 rs links are on the website and in the podcast description uh yeah 20 rscom everything's on there really we're on itunes Uh, RSS, email newsletter, if you want to use the rating, you can do uh You know the drill by now. Um, And that'll do that. I've been Bob Bamba. This has been Volume 3 of the November 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.